bam, we're live. Hey, thank you to, um, thank you to, uh, the person who reached out to me yesterday and told me that my ISO is on auto. That's why, like, when I was leaning into the camera, the exposure was changing. They're like, dude, when you lean into your camera, you look like a vampire. I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. Fix that this morning. So now I'm just one exposure. How could I not know that? <sighs> oh. Sorry. Hey. Hey, Daddy, how are you? Uh, podcast time. Oh, man, I'm so happy for you. You're crushing it, dude. Thanks, buddy. Are you on right now? I am on right now. Oh, shit, man. I have so many important questions to ask you. But crush the podcast. I'll call you later. Okay, talk to you in 90. Bye. Mr. McIntyre. Uh, Dick Butter, hey, good morning. Uh, Madeline uh, Eggert, good morning, in the green dress. Uh, Brandon Lecoq, good morning. Um, I started following you the other day, Brandon, a couple days ago. Brandon, did you give someone on, at the podcast free tickets, or were you going to? Or, or we did it already? You did it at the games? Oh, I'm so confused. I shouldn't even open that door. Uh, this morning, we have uh, Mary Heffernan coming on. Holy cow, this is a this is a crazy story. Wild story. Good story. Healthy story. Ambition. Oh, a, a, a human with crazy ambition and 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 horsepower. I think she's coming on. Five Mary's Farms. Five Five Mary's Farms? Five Mary Farms? Five Mary I better I better look up the exact name uh, enunciation of it. Five Mary's Meats, Five Mary's Farm. Five Marys Ranch Raised Meats. Man, all their stuff is so nice. Want to see their ranch? Look at this. This place is crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Look at this ranch. Look at that. Oh, my goodness. Hey. Good morning. We were just... uh, uh I, I call it ogling. My mom told me I'm pronouncing it wrong, and it's ogling. <laughs> like ogling, better. we were ogling your uh, your ranch. Crazy. Well, thank you. It's a pretty special place. Very few people say that to me when I say I'm ogling their stuff, but you did it. So thank <laughs> you. I think when people ogle me too. I'm like, well, thank you. <laughs> or I'm planning to say it if anyone ever does say it to me. No one's ever said it to me. <laughs> You're ready. Hey, that um, I was watching a, another podcast you did before, and that well, I don't know if that's a throw rug or what that is, but that white thing behind you. Yes, my sheep pelts. So for the first like five minutes of the podcast, I thought that was a giant sheep dog behind you, and I kept waiting for it to move. I'm like, man, her dog is loyal. <laughs> He's calm. And yeah, then if I see those sheep dogs that that could blend in, but they are not allowed indoors. They're wild feral dogs who stay outside and guard the sheep. Mary, what high school did you go to? I went to Sacred Heart in Menlo Park. Okay. I guess I don't know Menlo Park so good. I I, I was born in Oakland. Where were you born? Okay. Uh, Palo Alto. Okay. I was born at um, Oakland Children's Hospital. Are, are, are you a home birth kid? Nope. I'm a ho- Stanford Hospital. Okay. Oh, good place. Yeah. I think that's where I had all my kids, too. That's where you go uh, if you're in the Bay Area and, like, you want, like, actual medical care like i live in santa cruz and like yeah. your kid breaks their arm and you, the 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 uh what are they called the orthopedist will be tell you something you're like oh, okay thank you and then you immediately <laughs> rush over the hill to stanford 
We do the same thing up here in Fort Jones. The medical care, is, you got to drive away a while to uh, find a doctor you trust. We've had and, a few and, stitches episodes that didn't end well, but. Yeah. How do you know? How do you, how do you know when to do stitches? I usually just, um, the other day my kid snapped his shin in half in the morning but it wasn't till nine o'clock till my wife's like hey man he's gone into shock a few times i think we should take him to the doctor <laughs> i've heard that if it looks like lips it needs a stitch oh oh it's a good rule okay. a good life rule right yeah i like that i like <laughs> that um you're you're seventh generation californian i'm sixth my kids are seventh yeah that's nuts um who who what year do you know who originally came to California and why they yeah. came. And it was actually down by you. My, uh, on my mom's side in, um, 1850 or 1851. So right around the time of the gold rush, they came to Pajaro Valley and settled in Watsonville. Um, and were farmers there. Wild. So they didn't come for gold. You know, they actually were pretty smart. They came and set up a, a gold rush, like mercantile, like they mm -hmm. sold supplies to the miners so more of steady income instead of the strike it rich right. um, and came from uh, Ireland first and then Croatia. I'm uh, half Croatian. And um, they started selling gold rush supplies and then farming uh, potatoes that they brought over from Ireland. That's what they knew how to do. And then eventually did, you know, the, the typical Santa Cruz Valley or Pajo Valley crops like lettuce and uh, berries. One, so so one of your one one of those great grandparents was Croatian and the other one was Irish. Mm -hmm. Do you know how they met? Did they meet on the journey over? Um, no, I think they were both Irish at that generation, and then one married a Croatian halfway down the generations. A, a buddy of mine is in Croatia now. Have you been there? No, I haven't been. My we're trying to plan a family trip to go now that the kids are older. The, it's a friend of mine who's been pretty much everywhere. And, and, and I like to think I've been everywhere. And he's like, have you been to Croatia? And I said, no. And he said, it is the nicest place he has ever, really? ever been. Yeah. He says he's never been anywhere nicer on planet earth. Really? Yeah. P people, cuisine, landscape, uh, water, the whole shebang. He said, it's nuts. Yeah. And I think it's like not overrun with tourists yet. Yeah. Look, I mean, I FaceTime with him there. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Yeah. It looked amazing. All right. Yeah, it's, did, on, it's on my list. Does not look like Oakland, California. <laughs> um jumping to the end here real quick with the current circumstances that you we see so much of the united states going through right now and kind of the reworking i i i hope it's the reworking of civilization and not uh, a collapse of it but um are you pretty excited about where you're at the decisions you made to go where you did yeah what, you're 10 years up there and just about 10 years and yeah we say all the time you know how lucky we are we we moved when we did because we you know it wasn't like our kids were old enough to get established or you know we'd, we'd pretty much established ourselves in life down there it was hard to undo but i'm glad we did it when we did we're pretty happy fort, here yeah fort jones uh california the show's live by the way i don't know if you know if, if, if you knew that so i'm just going to show people on the map uh where it's at this is an incredible, this is in a really, truly incredible spot in the country. For those of you who've ever driven up here, it, it is right basically, I mean, at least I, I like to think of it as at the Oregon-California border uh, and, you're, and you're north of Shasta. Right. 
Yeah, California is pretty amazing. People think, you know, where you are, Oakland is Northern California, and we're six hours farther north. Yeah, it, and it's it's a whole different country. It is. It's mountainous. You know, one side of our ranch feels like Oregon. It's like 10 degrees cooler, and we've got moss and redwood trees. And the south-facing side of our ranch is, uh, you know, we've got sagebrush and lots of rock and oak trees. But it's we're at... 3,000 feet at the bottom of our ranch, 4,800 at the top. Um, so we've already had, you know, we're waking up to 30 degree temperatures already. Hey, did that, ha uh, when did that happen? Uh, two days ago, I came in my office here to do my podcast and I was like, oh, uh, uh, is winter here? Did it just happen a couple of days ago? Yeah, it did. That was the first freeze. Garden, gardens are toast. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, but j just to be clear, not that it matters to you, but I'm in Santa Cruz. I got out of there, uh, four or five years ago. Oh, okay. So you're, yeah, you're even farther South. Yeah. I got neighbors with peacocks and donkeys and I'm, I'm, I'm a little insulated from the, uh, from the chaos. It's still, yeah. it's still a little podunk down here. At least I like to think of it. As Santa podunk. Cruz is a great place. It's a nice little pocket too. That's pretty, pretty special. Um, what year did you graduate from high school? Uh, 96. Okay. And, and you said you went to Menlo park and then did you, where did you go after that? Did you go to college? Yeah, I went to college, um, at William and Mary in Virginia, which was pretty random, but I, I just love California, you know, family history in California. I knew I wanted to come back to California. So I figured that I should go to college somewhere really different. And, um, Virginia was very different. So I was there for four years, uh, pre-med, thought I was going to medical school. Um, I've always been an entrepreneur. I just didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't know that was a word. I thought I needed to pick a career, traditional career path. Um, and then after college, moved back to the Bay Area in 2000, the height of the dot-com bubble just blowing up. And um, started tutoring kids while I was taking the MCAT. And then that turned into opening a tutoring center. I leased a space downtown Menlo Park where rents were crazy at 22 years old, had no idea what I was doing. Um, but it worked, you know, it was kind of the land of opportunity then. And so I started this tutoring center and just loved the, you know, late nights building a website and putting together brochures and making a logo and getting customers. And it was it was pretty quickly. I said, I'm not going back to school. I like what I'm doing. Any of those students from when you were 22, you're still in contact with? Yeah, actually, some of them um, I like, you know, work with on a professional level today and they're they're like helping me out. I'm like, thanks for doing this. And like, thanks for getting me through high school. I couldn't have done it if I had, didn't have your place. So they're full blown cool. adults now. Yeah. Like with kids, their own kids and stuff. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It makes you feel old. Wow. Nuts. And and. And were you in, what was your, what was that like being in Menlo Park during that time? I mean, that was, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I remember, I'm trying, my, I remember my mom buying me the first Apple computer at Macy's. They sold it at Macy's that, when it came out. Yeah. You know, my mom was making like $13,000 a year and the computer was like 3,400 bucks. I can't even, now in hindsight, I'm like, what was she thinking buying me that? So expensive. The Apple II GS. I think we still have the box from it. My mom refuses to throw away. Um, yeah, that was the, that was uh, actually, I didn't have the first Apple. I had the first Macintosh. It was, or maybe it was 84. It was the first Macintosh. Was the two GS a Macintosh or was that like one of those big, big computers? Uh, I think it was a, a Macintosh, you know, it was a lot bigger than they are now, but it was, yeah. it was desktop. Yeah. 
Great. And, and, and did you did you know any of those people being down there? Did, did you ever see any of those those people down there? Would you see Steve Jobs down there or all the names yeah. that we hear about today? Jobs kids came to my tutoring center. They were clients and a lot of all those those big families, whether they're tech or VC. Um, you know, when I grew up in Menlo Park, it was a small town. There were families there for generations, lots of kids. Everybody knew each other. And then all of a sudden in 2000, it was just like, what is this place? And people would ask, like, where are you from? And I said, here. And they're like, no one's from here. Everyone moves here. I'm like, well, no, I'm from here, this small town. It's not a small town anymore. But, yeah, uh, it was crazy. You know, it, it was lots of wealth and excess and things moving quickly. And, uh, you know, I loved the opportunity and the fact that you could do anything quickly and make things happen. Um, but, you know, all that wealth comes with a lot of uh, – Hard, it's harder to find that real satisfaction in life and to be, you know, feel accomplished at the end of the day. Like I did something when it's just kind of, you know, tech and things moving and, and funny money and VC money. And, uh, that's what we really found. I, I think a lot of people that I, we, you know, saw were, um, not happy this isn't the point of the podcast, but, but why not? Why, why don't you think they were happy? Do you think that I, I always see this connection between people who, and, and I'm not suggesting you're saying this, but this connection between people who didn't earn something and got it, whether it be money or whatever, and their happiness, like people don't realize that if you didn't earn it, you won't actually be able to be happy by it. No, I agree. And sometimes they earned it, but you know, it was lucky being at the <clears throat> right time at the right place. You know, the tech right. world is crazy because there were a lot of people who, you know, you think, oh, wealth and it, you know, you get your dad's money, you inherit money. And how can you really like see that? But a lot of these people did make a life for themselves with mm -hmm. a lot of money, but it was just like appeared overnight. And, you know, or is it like stocks? It's like, what is this? How valuable is this? But, you know, I think you, when you are actually creating something or physically working um, and seeing day to day progress, I think that's really what happiness is. And, you know, making money is not a bad thing. I think people put such a weight on like, oh, you can't, you know, money doesn't buy happiness, but productivity does, you know, and, and, and part of that is making money. And I would just see a lot of people would say, you know, oh, I was in the service business. I was still, I had all these small businesses, brick and mortar stores, you know, working for the dollar, keeping everybody happy. But every day was like, I'd wake up excited, like a new project. I'm going to put this in at this business. I'm going to do this. You know, I'd physically be building installations or changing businesses around. Um, and I think that's really what we found at the ranch when we made this move. You know, we didn't think we'd move here full time. We bought this land to raise really good beef. To How much land, Mary? We have 1,800 acres here. Okay. Okay. Um, between our, we have about 500 irrigated pastures and the rest is hill country. So okay. we, we run a good number of animals here, but um, not, not crazy amounts. So we came up here with four little kids in car seats, made that commute every weekend and thought, well, this will be our escape from, from the Bay area. And, you know, the kids can go run around barefoot and play with animals and we'll have the best of both worlds. And we just quickly realized that that was totally naive to think that we could really put our whole heart into ranching and be the one taking care of our animals and still run businesses in the Bay area. You know, we'd be up at the, at the ranch and they would call like the restaurant, the hoods 
filling up with smoke and somebody has to get on the roof and reset it. And my husband's like, I'm the only one that can do that because somebody else is going to fall and it's going to be a worker's comp claim. And then we'd be down at the restaurants and the ranch hand that we hired, be like, oh, the cows got out and they're doing this, but I'm just going to put them here. And Brian's like, no, they need to stay on feed. It's really important, like how we're raising these animals. So we just looked at each other, you know, packed up one Sunday night to go back to the Bay Area and looked at each other and said, we're we're going the wrong direction. We want to stay here. We want to be on this land every day, waking up before the sunrise, working with our hands, working with our kids, that physical labor where at the end of the night, you know, you don't need a, a sound machine to go to bed. You, you put your head on the pillow and you're so tired from working all day. Uh, we're like, that's what we want. And this is the life we want for our kids. So it was the easiest decision we ever made to just say, we're leaving it all behind. We're going to go full we're moving to a town of 600 people and from a house, a suburban house that we'd worked so hard for. I was like, gosh, I'm so lucky to live in this beautiful house to a 760 square foot cabin, no heat, wood stove only, you know, no dishwashers, no amenities um, with six of us. And it, it, it felt right. It felt like this is where we're supposed to be. Um, so it was an easy decision, but it was, it was hard to unwind the life we'd built there. You know, my husband had a law practice. We had eight brick and mortar shops. We had a house. We lived right near my parents. Um, it was just a huge eight brick and mortar shops. Yeah. See, it, it's so fucked up when you say that. Cause then I'm like, God, that could be a whole show right there. <laughs> I was trying to get my head wrapped around you. There's no, there's no way to get, I need to explain to people that it's impossible to get your head wrapped around Mary's life. <laughs> M M Mary, how many businesses in totality, no business too small, no business too big, do you think that you have been involved in, mm -hmm. either started or worked at in your entire life, roughly? Well, I've only worked for like one place and it lasted two weeks because I was like, oh, I can't work for someone else. I have to do my own thing. Where did uh, you work? Uh, well, it was McDonald's. A Please tell me it was McDonald's. <laughs> No, I had like waitressing jobs in college. I've worked more places, but you know, doing my own thing is like really what, what I'm passionate about and just the way my brain is wired. But I think we, we've, it's between 20 and 25 businesses. Okay. And, and what's the small, like, what's the smallest uh, business you ever ran? Like, like, like the yearly income of the revenue of the smallest business you ran? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, I've probably, you know, a few hundred thousand a year. That's the smallest. That's the revenue of the smallest. Yeah. I mean, they were all, I, I put everything into them all until they were successful. And then I'd either sell it um, or, or keep it going. But even like my tutoring center, I still ran without being there for years and finally sold it right before COVID. And then the girl, it tanked somehow. Um, you had that business for 19 years. Yeah. Did you cry when it tanked? No, I'm not no. attached to businesses. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, um, so, so smallest is several hundred thousand. And how how many employees do you think that you've had in your entrepreneurial life? Wow, that's a great question. Thousands. You're on the greatest podcast ever. I, I should have apologized. I always forget to apologize to people when they come on. I say <laughs> with uh, zero humility, from here it's all downhill. I should have told you. I should have told you. I love you. it. No, that's a really good question. Um, 10,000 probably. Oh my God. But you know, small, small business. Maybe that's, maybe it's 5,000. I don't know. It's somewhere in the, the so some, but uncountable to you. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. 
you're more likely to tell me how many cars you've owned than how many employees you've had. <laughs> yes. Exactly. How many cars have you owned, do you think, in your life? My life? Yeah. I started with the Jeep Wrangler when I turned 16 that I still wish I kept. Uh, mm. Not many, five, six. Yeah. What are you driving today? Um, but I either drive a truck or an expedition. And the expedition is um, kids get in the car, we're going to town? Yes, that's a town car. My okay. husband bought it for me because I needed a town car. <laughs> um, going a total, I guess, different direction. Uh, why did you have kids? Um, super entrepreneur. Uh, how do kids fit in? You know, my husband and I are both from big, big families. We're both from Catholic families. Uh, lots of kids. Family is really important to us. Food, food and, and family is kind of what our life centers around. Um, it was always first priority and, and still is, you know, I think that's the beauty of the entrepreneurial lifestyle is that your kids come right along with you. You know, I, I never, I had my, I'd had, I had four babies in under five years and they always were with me just tagging along whatever I was doing. Um, and now, you know, there's such a big part of what we do. We had a big shipping day yesterday here. We ship all of our meats across the country to customers and we did a ran a special and had a thousand orders come through, which packing a thousand meat boxes is no small task because each one, you know, it's frozen meat, special cuts. We put dry ice. The boxes have to be packed really kind of a as a specialty. Um, and two of my kids, we do kind of a mixture of homeschool and regular school. But two of the kids who didn't have school, they were here helping pack boxes and um, get those orders out with our our team. And they really see a lot, you know, they see mistakes that you make. They see the things that make it successful. They see that, you know, if you want, they're really into rodeo, they're, they're all competitive rodeo girls, but they're like, if I want a new horse, I gotta, I gotta work for it, but here's the opportunity. You know, it's not like, how am I going to make money? They're like, I see lots of ways I can make money. I can sell something that through my parents' site, I can, you know, help work there. I can think of my own thing and find customers. Um, they'll raise beef and sell it through 4-H. So I, I think that, Kids, kids and an entrepreneurial lifestyle, um, go well together. Uh, let me see if I can follow that. Um, you're Catholic, so you're not allowed to use contraception. That was my takeaway. No. <laughs> <laughs> we're, okay. We're I missed it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, so, so food and family, food mm -hmm. and family. Yeah. Okay. And that's kind of what we built our businesses on. You know, all the businesses that I've done have centered around um, families. And it kind of, to me, it was, you know, it's recession proof. If you have a business where mm. people are investing in their in their kids or family or, you know, even good food, they, that's when, that's the last thing to go. You know, they're going to, might cut back on fancy vacations or gym memberships, but people are always going to, people are always going to pay for their kids before anything else. I, I'm a hundred percent there with you. I, 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 the, I never cut stuff for my kids. I'll cut everything else first. Mm -hmm. Everything. Yeah. I can't remember the last time my wife and I go out and spend money on clothes. Like we did before we had kids. Yeah. It's that shit's over <laughs> $1,600 a month for tennis. Like you're, you're not, you're not, you don't buy clothes anymore. And your kids have nicer clothes than you do. Of, of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, Heidi Kroom from Madison, Wisconsin. What is the key to starting a business and getting it up and running successfully? That is a great question, Heidi. Um, so I believe the secret is you have to just do it all yourself and just make it happen. So 
when I think a lot of ideas get stuck in the, gosh, I have this great idea, but I'd have to to find someone to like help me execute it. There must be a specialist who can tell me if this is a good idea and make it happen. Then I got to hire someone to like build a website for me, make a logo for me. You're going to get stuck because these people aren't going to have your same vision. It's going to be expensive to pay all these people. Nobody cares about that idea, has the passion like you do. When you have an idea in these, this day and age, you can make that happen. You can have a business running in five days. You can build a website. You can make a logo. You can create a brand. You can find customers. You can take payments. Whatever idea it is, you know, some things are harder than others. If it's, you know, you got to get FDA clearance, but those, it's still possible. But you're the only one who's going to be passionate enough to make that happen. So you got to just like go for it. Um, we actually started a course. We have a small business academy. My husband and I uh, have compiled all the resources we learned in these 25 businesses that we started. And um, it's called M5 Entrepreneurs. And our tagline is you can do it because you have to be scrappy and you have to figure these things out to just make it happen yourself. Um, sorry, lead me to this again. I really want people to see this. Go to the M5, M5 Academy. Okay, got it. Yeah. So we call it M5 Entrepreneurs, Ways to Grow Your Business. There's 40 different workshops on everything from, you know, branding to um, entity formation and insurance. Like, do you need an LLC? Can you be a sole proprietor? That's where my husband's background in law has been helpful. Um, Email marketing, I think, is so important these days. That's your number one tool as an entrepreneur. So we have a little free email marketing course. Um, But this, a lot of people in this community, we we have like a, an app where people can kind of come and ask questions. And um, we have over 4,000 entrepreneurs in this course. And it's really just about empowerment and giving entrepreneurs the tools to say, okay, I'm not waiting around for somebody else to do this. I'm going to go make this happen. Uh, I bring you onto the show to let people know that there's a good place where they can get healthy meat because the people, I think the people who, f- who follow this show are pretty, uh, food conscious and they're yeah. big consumers of meat and then here we are uh the small <laughs> business course hey what's the um what's the most what's some of the most successful stories you've heard out of people who've been shot out of this course um you know i there's a lot of people who've just started from scratch and have built these amazing businesses um my hannah and daniel <laughs> nealman in utah they have they run ballerina farm and they came to us when we started and said, we want to do what you guys are doing. How do we do it? And we said, well, you know, here's, here's all the materials. Hannah came to one of my workshops and she's got six and a half million followers on Instagram. They, they built a farm, a dairy, a creamery, a farm store. Um, they're wildly successful. And there's, there's lots of people like that, whether it's on a, a larger scale like that. Or what I think has been really neat is to see a lot of people in the agricultural industry, which is traditionally, you know, change is bad. We do the same thing generation after generation. Well, times have changed and you can't necessarily make a good living, especially to feed, you know, multiple components in a family. There's, you know, multiple kids and they have kids and everybody wants to keep the farm going. You got to find different outlets. Um, And the direct to consumer market is what we realized when we started as first generation ranchers. There are so many inputs, you know, every day you need a new tractor, you need a silo, you need irrigation, you need fencing. Um, It's so expensive, the barrier for entry, but direct to consumer, you control the the price of that meat. There's no middleman Um, in a traditional commercial operation selling beef that beef will change hands seven times and the margins that are killed every time and the trust and the quality 
just, you know, are, are not there. So by doing this direct to consumer beef operation, like we do, um, you control the price and you get directly to the customers. So you can put more into it. You know, we spend a lot of money to raise really great quality beef and that's genetics. It's your feeding program. It's your finishing program. It's keeping them on feed long enough. And then it's the butchering. So we're, we're the only ranch in the country that's doing it from birth and breeding. We do AI, we do artificial insemination for our breeding because we get the best quality genetics. And we can say, we want to pick great ribeye quality. We want to pick great ribeye size. We want these, we want the steaks to, to matter. And then we harvest on the ranch. So we built a USDA harvest facility where the animals never have to get on a trailer. Um, my husband worked with Temple Grandin, who's this, the guru of animal handling, the autistic woman. She's amazing. Um, it's all designed for animal handling. So we harvest on the ranch and then those carcasses are taken to a USDA butchery we built right here in Fort Jones. We dry age to really extremes. We've got these dry aging coolers and that's kind of the secret to that, to the finishing with a really great quality. Um, and we dry age our whole carcass. So even our ground beef is dry aged, which you really can't find, you know, the, the dry aging, you lose volume. There's so many reasons people don't do it because you'll lose money, but we know that the quality, um, is there so we can charge more for this meat because the, the flavor, the tenderness is amazing. And then we have our own team of craft butchers who are putting everything in packages, um, and then shipping it directly to customers' doorsteps. So yeah. a long way. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, you um, go ahead. So we've been able to do that, which to us is, uh, you know, what, what the ultimate goal was to have this whole vertical integration. And I've seen a lot of other farmers and ranchers say, Hey, we got to get to that. We got to do this direct to consumer thing, but how do we do it? And this course, I've just seen, <clears throat> love to see the empowerment that it gives, uh, people, especially women to say, Hey, father-in-law, I know you don't like change, but I want my kids to be around. I don't want this ranch to be sold at auction. How about we change things and do this? And here's the tools I think I can help. And to see that happen is like the most rewarding thing ever, more rewarding than doing it ourselves. Uh, the drying thing resonates with me. I used to grow when there was a market in it 30 years ago, I would grow weed, dry it and sell it. And if you over dry it, you lose money, keep uh -huh. it a little moist. And you could, you, I mean, the margins are massive. You could have twice as much. Yeah. And you're saying that you don't do that. You don't cut corners, you dry it. and Yeah. No shortcuts. That's our motto. Um, but yeah, you will lose 20% by dry aging. We could, you know, we, what most, most meat in the grocery store you're buying now is wet aged. So they just put in a vacuum seal pack and let it sit. Um, the dry aging, you're losing all that water and you're breaking down the protein and the, the quality is, is unreal. Like, especially the ground beef. If you tried side by side, dry aged ground beef raised well. Um, when we bought the restaurant, we have a restaurant in town too, which we said we'd never do again. And then this old restaurant came up for sale in town and we, we couldn't say no, um, but we had the hood cleaned, you know, restaurant hoods are nasty hood cleaned six months later, the guys come to clean the hood. They came out of there and they look at me and go, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh God, that's never good. And he said, I've never seen fat like this. It's clean, mm. clear. He's like, there's wow. no yellow, there's no grease. And I said, well, that's cause we're cooking our own meat. That's cool. That's great yeah. feedback. Hey, why did you say, especially for women? What do you mean by that? Um, I think the agriculture industry is traditionally a man's game, you know, and women have always been so important and they're, you know, I agree. Women have always been important. I agree. We're okay. We're on the same page there. I think they're super. My mom was especially important. 
you know, traditionally it's like, I'm a, I'm a rancher's wife. I'm a farmer's wife. You wouldn't say I'm the rancher, but the women are doing so much behind the scenes and always have been, you know, that hasn't changed. They're doing the books. They're doing payroll. They're paying the bills. They're, you know, making sure everybody's fed for these brandings. They're organizing who's going where paying the The adult stuff. I call that the adult stuff. My wife does all the adult stuff, like pays taxes, buys houses, shit like that. I don't do any of that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But now, but they'd still say, you know, I'm, I'm the farmer's wife, but now to say like, no, I'm a rancher too. And I, I want to make this happen with you and to be the ones bringing ideas to the ranch and saying, Hey, what if we did direct to consumer? What if we finish our own cattle? I'll take them to the butcher. I'll do the packaging. I'll do the branding. I'll build the website. Um, that is, that's a change. And that's pretty cool to see. So has the, de- has the delegation changed of the work you think, or, 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 or just the titles? I think it's more the opportunity, you know, instead of just saying, well, I'm, we'll see we take, you know, traditionally you take your cattle to auction to market and you find out at the end of the day, what your cattle sold for. And that's your paycheck. And that could be a people's paycheck for the year. And okay. it was just kind of like, I'm going to sit back and see what happens. And now it's like, wait a minute, if we are proactive about this, we can go out there and, and ask our own prices if we're cutting out these distributors. So how do we do that? And, you know, tr- traditionally, you know, the, the ranchers might be steeped in like, I got to, you know, feed and finish and wake up in the morning and do everything I've always been doing. And then the daughter-in-law might come in and the wife and say, Hey, let's, let's look at making a change here. And that's pretty bold to, to do to an operation that's been generationally doing the same thing over and over. Um, but it's, it's working people, not everyone, but people are open to it and they see a change and that's more likely their kids are going to be able to continue on this family legacy. Yeah. It, um, uh, I, I can't really speak for your husband, but I'll speak for him. He's very happy with with uh, the powerhouse that you are and, <laughs> and, and your ambition and your follow through and your commitment. We're a good team. Um, that land that you got, um, you said uh, um, 1,300 uh, acres of it was hill country. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Mountains. Um, we have we have a couple different mountains that go different directions. So uh, you can't irrigate it. You can't grow grass. Okay. So much more valuable. We still run our cows on it. Like all year long, we run our bulls on it. Cause you only need bulls for about one <clears> month <throat> out of the year. Okay. Um, but, uh, in the winter we run our cows up there because the past, so that saves our pastures from getting just trampled on, or, you know, we might, we're next to a river, we might have a flooding event. So in the winter, we bring all our animals up on the mountain and we feed them there, um, our cattle. And then in the fall, there is some grass growth. So they kind of forage over there, but then we, when the grasses are growing, we do the rotational grazing on the pastures um, and the grasses work for us. But we have to feed the cattle all winter twice a day. I think that's a lot of people are, are shocked at that. Like, yeah. <clears throat> I yeah. had, to, had to feed cows. <clears throat> yeah, I thought they just walked around and ate too. Hey, so that's cool. Um, and and do, you, do you buy new cattle mm-hmm. or, do, or do they just, they're just procreating there? Procreation uh, works for uh, about a third of our cattle. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, but we, we harvest 12 cattle every single week all year. So we calve in the fall once a year. It's <clears throat> calving right now. It's labor intensive. You're out there every two hours checking to see, you know, sometimes a calf will get stuck and I got to go in there and pull it out. Um, and there's just a lot that goes into to calving. So 
we calve once a year, those calves will be raised up. You know, the bigger ones go in our feed program sooner. The smaller ones we hold back, let them get a bigger frame. But that gives us product for about three to five months of the year. And then there's two other ranches that we buy from. One of them is my brother-in-law in Eastern Oregon, raises cattle the same way we do. You know, there's all these gaps for certifications and uh, all natural programs. You want to make sure they've not had growth hormones implanted in them because that's a real thing. Um, in the cattle industry to make them grow bigger. So we get we get top quality genetics cattle raised all naturally. There's two ranches that we trust. Um, and so we buy calves from them to fill those gaps in the year. Uh, you know, humans do that too. They're uh, pellets. They, they, they put, um, they have pellets implanted in their hip with human growth hormone in them that slowly releases so that the really? humans can get all, yeah, get all jacked. Excellent. And that's what you were talking about for cows, huh? They'll, they'll put pellets in them. Human mm-hmm. growth hormone pellets, yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, the you said you uh, do a mixture of uh, schooling for your kids, homeschooling and schooling. Mm-hmm. Can, can you? T- how how old are your daughters? Uh, they are ten to sixteen. Okay. Eleven to sixteen now. Um, yeah, every year is a little different. You know, I think especially having all having four girls, all you know, tight in age, people think they're kind of all the same, right? You just do the same thing. But they're such different personalities, and we kind of look at each one every year, like, what's going to work for you? What are your goals this year? And we ask them that. And I think that's kind of the neat thing about education now is there's so many options. So my oldest last year said, I want to be really efficient with school, but I want to take lots of honors classes, college courses. I want to get ahead. I want to exercise my horses every day, and I want to work and earn money. He said, okay, well, traditional high school is not going to give you that. So she does this online program through Laurel Springs. It's a great, uh, that's a good, good picture you picked there. Um, it's that's a, a great picture, by the way, crazy <laughs> picture there. Uh, and then the next one says, you know, I just, I, I don't want to have to work harder than I need to at school. I said, okay, well then we're going to do a different program for you. And it just changes every year. So we do, um, we don't actually homeschool. I'm not teaching them out here every day. You know, we will help them, but they do programs. There's great programs online that um, is, you know, it's not Zoom school. It's like a, a real in-depth honors enrichment courses uh, programs that they can do. And I think that's really important. You know, in a town of 600 people, you can have some disadvantages with what you're offered. But again, thanks to the World Wide Web, uh, there's, it's limitless what, what the options are available to you. Um, my dad was a uh, first generation, came you know, at, at 20 years old from Lebanon to the United States. And uh, he ended up owning, opening a wine and cheese store in Berkeley, California. And uh, tons of interaction with the customers, right? People would come in there and drink wine or drink beer, or buy cheese, tons of interaction. So I spent my weekends there, you know, Saturday and Sunday for years and years working there. So from a little kid, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, I would be behind the counter yeah. and I would, I would ring people up and talk to people and carry, you know, carry boxes of wine out to the car and just whatever they needed. And through that, I learned some pretty crazy, uh, human skills. (laughs) Um, what did your parents do? Where did you get these uh, skills that you have? The inherent ones, the ones that seem inherent in you, but that you had to learn. So my dad, um, was a lawyer. He did medical malpractice, defending the doctors. Uh, he was on the, usually on the good side of the, um, medical malpractice world and had, you know, very much had one job out of law school and was, you know, the first one in the parking lot at 5am every morning, very loyal, um, worked hard. And my mom was a stay at home mom and she 
really any, all my crazy ideas. Cause I was starting businesses when I was in seventh grade. I didn't know then that I was starting businesses, but you know, somebody says, Hey, we babysit my, my twins for the summer. I said, well, if I'm gonna babysit two, I might as well babysit like 20. Mm. So I started Mary's summer fun camp in the backyard. And my mom was like, yeah, sure. I'll cook lunch for everybody. And my dad would come home on his lunch break and barbecue for all the parents while I did a talent show. So I, I'm very fortunate that my parents were so supportive of let, you know, giving me the platform to do these things. They didn't do any of it for me. And that was equally important. You know, I would have to rollerblade down to Kinko's coffee shop to make my flyers and yeah, yeah, and print them out and put, you know, tape them all over the neighborhood. Um, but they, they said, yeah, go for it. You, you can, you can do it. If you think you want to do that, I'm not holding you back. Um, but my grandfather was an entrepreneur and not a super successful one. You know, he had a lot of ideas. He tried to start an airline with one plane and he would stand at San Jose airport with a sign that said, I'm cheaper. If you want to fly on my plane. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That didn't work. Oh, that's pretty bold though. I like that. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, we'd drive around uh, Watsonville and see an empty storefront and he'd say, what should we put it? What should we put in there? What could we build there? An ice cream shop is taco store. <laughs> and I think I was really inspired by him of like, yeah, possibilities are are endless. You can, you can go whatever, whatever you can imagine, you can make it happen. Um, do you have a, uh, an entrepreneur that you, that you've, read their biography or autobiography and you're like, mm, yeah, I, re- I read Aristotle Onassis is, uh, I think, I think it's his biography. I don't know, a year or two ago. Absolutely nuts. Really? No. Nuts. Yeah. He, he basically he came over here. I mean, his dad was scooped up by the Nazis. He came to South America in the bottom of a boat, just disgusting. You know, you know what I mean? The month in the boat with people vomiting and yeah. pooing and peeing on them came to South America and just started selling c- cigarettes and then, and then bought a boat to move gasoline, Getty's gas in, oil in. And the rest is history. It became so wealthy. It's mind boggling. You know, I think that's really like the secret of entrepreneurs is you're, you're, you got to be opportunistic and always look mm. for like, what is that? Where is that next thing? And, you know, yeah, people need gasoline. Do I buy a boat and like move the gasoline? Like yeah. that, that's yeah. a great example because. And uh, cigarettes, they didn't have, he brought Turkish cigarettes to South America. Who yeah. got his first, you know, yeah, from Gold poor market. to rich, quick. Yeah, and you do, and you know, the entrepreneurs. There's always, there's always an expense hiding around the next corner. You know, you, sometimes you got to think on your feet. Like, all right, we need to pull some income in. When we started ranching, you know, we were scrappy. We were like, we got to figure out how to pay for all this. So we we built an outdoor kitchen and these glamping tents, and we invited people and said, hey, come do chores with us in the morning. See see what we do here. And man, hosting people is exhausting, <laughs> but, uh, we, that helped us grow our ranch It helped people, you know, learn about us, learn about our, our passion for creating really good meat. And those people are all still lifeline lifetime customers telling all their friends. Um, but that wasn't what we set out to do. We didn't want to be a hospitality guest ranch, but you got to do things like that when you see that opportunity, um, to, you know, businesses have to have a lot of different streams of income, especially when you're starting. Anyone in particular that you that you held up as a as a role model? Anything come to mind? I mean, I guess your grandfather. Yeah, I would say so. And you know, like I said, I didn't realize that I that I had this entrepreneurial like drive in me until it was like, oh yeah, I guess that's what I do. You know, I I, I wish I had had more direction younger that um, that that was a, a passion and and people to look up to. But I don't think I really did. 
Why do your kids even need to go to school? There's this um, uh, school called Acton Academy where the school is the kids run the school. So that's, that's you know, they, they run the school, everything. And um, from cleaning the bathrooms to hiring the teachers, they do it all. Wow. It seems like that's what your kids are doing. It seems like your kids are doing exactly what I did. Like I just learned how to run this business this bit yeah. yeah the store like whether i wanted to or not my dad would be like hey go to the bank take this you know bag to the bank or, or just do your kids even need to go to school i think they get a lot more out of life experiences and working on the ranch than they do out of school but unfortunately we still live in this society where you know the traditional you can't can't go to college unless you have the AG requirements in, in these classes and accredited right. accredited school. So, you know, if they didn't want to go to college, which I don't, I think it's, you know, there's a lot less importance on college these days than, than when we went. Um, it doesn't make you any more hireable if you've gone to college or not. But if you want doors open for you for certain things in life, um, it is important. And it's still, you know, there's a, a lot of value in the social experience of going to college. And like I said, my girls rodeo, they want to be, they want a college rodeo. There's some great rodeo programs out there. They've seen their friends, you know, go on that path. So I was, I was really disappointed. I thought like post pandemic, we would all say, we got to change the school system. Like, what can we do different? Um, and it kind of went back to, you know, some things changed, but kind of went right back to, following the traditional path. Um, and I think it's going to take a lot longer for that to change than we all hope for. There were, um, I, I saw this stat that there were 51 million kids in the U uh, S public school system, uh, pre pandemic. Then after that whole debacle, there were only 49 million. And, and my kids were three of the kids that did not go back to school. My kids will, my kids now will never go to school. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, and, to be frank, my kids are way, way cooler, way nicer, better eye contact, more polite, uh, more honest, less trouble than all the other kids that I see anywhere. They're, yeah. they're, they're on a, they're on a different plane. I take them out in public and people just know. And, um, I don't, yeah, I, I, I would hope that more people would, um, raise their kids. I, I thought that I was going to be too incompetent to raise my kids. <laughs> I, guess, I guess you never thought that though, since you were tutoring at a young age. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, partly it's like a bandwidth issue of like, that's, right. but that's why I like these, this online program that they do because it's, it's very, it gives them all the tools. And what I think is so cool about it is these are the tools you need as an adult, <laughs> upload yeah. a PDF, like organize your Google drives that communicate with, with your teachers. Um, and that's not, that's something that you can do from, from anywhere. Do your kids do like a, uh, program or are you just totally homeschooling uh they're doing they're uh they do kumon in the morning are you familiar with yeah. kumon yeah. they do they do kumon every morning and we're part of some schooling program but they check in they check in on us every like three or four months and but my kids are like off the charts right because yeah. they're not they're not watching tv they're interacting they're yeah it's just and, and we and i and i'm raising my kids now i raise them say that again it's a lot more efficient crazy efficient <laughs> my kids are so happy it's it's crazy efficient joe neils uh, is the owner of crossfit kenosha um this is so spot on uh what mary is saying mary what's your last name heffernan. heffernan heffernan sorry this is so spot on uh what mary heffernan is saying uh just start build it brick by brick brick yourself the right people will come when they see your passion 
Looks like Five Mary Farms will be upping my game on the meat and fruit life. Love it. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Um, can people come um, visit the mm-hmm. farm? Like, like, do you still do that glamping thing? Do you still do the, do the thing where people could come and spend the day there or spend a couple hours there? Yeah. So we do these like in the summers, we haven't done it in three years because of the you know world, but we are going to, we're hoping to get back to that and just host hosting a couple farm dinners and stays during the summer. But we have this amazing restaurant right here in downtown Fort Jones. It's pre prohibition building with the full liquor license. It's in, insane. We do our own whiskey, our own bourbon, our own wine. Um, so a lot of people will come to the town of Fort Jones and come get a burger like our, we have a famous burger because it's made with our dry aged ground beef. Um, but people will come to kind of experience five Mary's. We have three shops along our, our downtown. We have a retail store. Um, I'm in my kind of little, uh, office here and then we have the burger house. Um, so it's a great kind of stopping point to come experience five Mary's. You can buy meat. You will serve you a burger or a steak. Um, and then kind of do a tour of the Valley and you can, you can, see the ranch and we're usually in and out of the restaurant to check in and say hi to people we don't do like official ranch tours because you know you end up just wanting to talk to people for hours and hours and then we're like oh we we gotta we got some stuff to take care of we got some animals we got work to do yeah but yeah the burger house is a great stopping point we get people from all over i've had people from ireland come to sit to come to five mary's burger house this this town of fort jones how many people live there 630 i think oh my goodness oh my goodness (laughs) There's about 2000, like in our Valley, we're in a little round, around secluded Valley here. How do you find people to, to, to help you in a town that's so small? You know, in the beginning, so we share our story on Instagram. We have a pretty like, um, large following on Instagram. And so in the beginning, a lot, we'd say, Hey, we need somebody at the restaurant. We need somebody here. And people would come out of the woodwork wanting to move here and work here. Um, and locals were a little more hesitant to work for us or, you know, be on our side. It's, it's really hard to be new in a small town and, you know, be seen as successful, have businesses. Um, small towns are very skeptical of new people. So it was nobody in town wanted to work for us. Cause they're like, we don't know yet if they're cool or the enemy. Um, right. so change and change. No one wants change. No, no one, one wants change. change. Yep. But now they see that we're good people. You know, we work just as hard as they do. We're out there every morning. We're not hiring people to do the work for us. So we've earned respect in the local community. And now we, it's almost all locals that we employ. Okay. So, the, and, 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 pe- and people do, people do love jobs. Yes. It's, yeah. it's come back around for a while. No one wanted to work. It's getting better. Is it hard to find, is it hard to find good people? Like when just in the retail experiences that I have, um, it doesn't look like there's a lot of good people out there who give a shit. You know, I think that's the beauty of a small town and what's come back around is the people that we have working here, they love their job and we treat them well and they, they don't want to go anywhere. You know, they want to be here where I think is in more kind of urban areas, people are, what, where am I going? What's the next thing? Um, the people who we have on our team, they're like, this is, this is a great job. I love being a part of what five Mary's is doing. And, and we have, them. you know, they're here for five or seven years so far, and hopefully we'll be here a lot longer. I'm not a, um, I'm not a recycling guy. I have no faith in recycling. I'm not a charity guy. I have no faith in charity. Like I'm a, um, uh, tip the kid $5 at Starbucks who smiles at me. 
or the 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 you know, pull up to the hotel the guy who opens my door if he's like hey how are you beautiful kids dude you get five bucks yep. i'm rewarding you like and i'm, and I'm all about sharing get give 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 yeah all that being said this thing you're doing with your boxes <laughs> could, could you share that with the audience that is so freaking cool so the boxes where we were just giving them to people having a hard time no, the, the, uh, the, no, the, like, so if I buy meat from you, you send it out in a package. Mm -hmm. And then if I understood correctly, the box that you send it to me in has a return label on it. Mm -hmm. So then I can take some books and God knows I have too many books and I can put the I books in the box, yeah, put the so label on it and send it back to you at the post office. And I used to send stuff media mail all the time. It's so you. cheap. It's so cheap. It's crazy cheap. That's the secret. So you get your box back. Yes. And so we're we're killing less trees. Mm -hmm. And I, I like when you and, and normally I'm like fuck you. There's plenty of trees, but I just love that. And I love the fact that someone's getting my book, and then you donate the book. Yeah, we have a foster program, and all the local schools they like rely on it now. We're getting you know thousands of books a month infused in this little town that they're like, thank you. This crazy. is crazy. But yeah, again, that was just being an entrepreneur and having to get scrappy because these, these liners, they're expensive. You know, they're, they're like eight to 12 bucks for this insulated liner. That's going to keep that meat frozen. I could do cheaper ones, but they don't work the same. And we've worked so hard for this meat. Like it can't thaw in transit. So we have these expensive liners. We brand every box with our actual cattle brand. It gets an M5 brand on it and we ship those out. Well, to get it back on FedEx, it's like 15 bucks. It's, you know, a dollar more than the cost of the box. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. So I figured out this media ma mail, if the customer, and, and we are so lucky we have customers who care enough, going to the post office is terrible, but Sucks. they'll do it. They'll put, yeah, put a used book or two in that box, take it. And we have a little a return address and a sticker you put over the perishable sticker that says media mail. Um, and it, you know, takes a little while to get to us, but we get hundreds of boxes back a week. And the post office got mad. They were like, you know, small town post office. We don't, <laughs> there's too many boxes here. And, you know, a couple other post offices were like, we think this is abuse of media mail. And we went all the way to the postmaster in Sacramento and said, can we do this? And he said, this is a fantastic use of media mail. Yes. And he gave us a letter. If anybody gives us grief that says this is, this is a perfect use of media mail. Wow. Hey, when you, that's crazy. So, so you could have thrown your hands up at any point. You could have thrown your hands up in, 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 at the beginning and been like, fuck it. We're giving the, the, the cost of these boxes to the customers. The second your people started pushing back about the books, you could have thrown your hands up. Hey, um, when you came up with that idea, how do you know that's not a harebrained idea? Like part of me is like, dude, that's a harebrained idea. No one's going to, no one wants to go to the post office. It's like basically douchebag he heaven there uh -huh. and douchebag hell. And then on top of that, do people really want to part with their books? You know, how did you know that was going to work? You didn't care. I no, I didn't. I was, you know, scrappy. Like, let's try this. I don't know. I don't have a better option. I'm not paying 15 bucks from FedEx to do it. I don't want people let, like, I know where my parents live in, in the Bay area. You can't even get that box in your garbage can. Their garbage cans allotment is like this. Right. Small. right. So I, was like, I got to find a way to get these back. And we also have a drop spot in my parents' house. People just drop boxes on their porch and my dad chats with them. How was your steak? Puts them in the garage and then I go and get them. But you know, when you have a harebrained idea, it's like, there's nobody to tell you this isn't going to work. So let's try it. And I think you have a little, benefit of being a small business and being, you know, 
these are their friendly ranchers where they know the face of us, where people are like, I'm going to get this box back to them. I'll go to the post office because I know this is going to make a difference for them. And you have the label on there. It's pretty easy. Yeah, it's pretty easy. <clears throat> hey, is there a bookstore in town? Uh, no. Hardware I want. I wonder if that would work to um uh to open a bookstore with the books that are returned. Yeah, probably. Although our the schools like benefit from them so much, they just a, a thousand books a month is crazy. Yeah. Well, we've got four schools here, and then the foster program, and actually there is a bookstore half hour away. Sometimes we'll take them there, and they give us free coffee in exchange. <laughs> I was thinking about just ordering some meat just so I could find a place to. Di- I have all I, in Santa Cruz. I don't know where you, I, I don't want to take. I don't know where to take my books, but I got so I got this uh, dining room table just full of books that I need to get rid of. Really? Yeah, brand new books. I'm, I think I'm going to buy meat after the show just to send to you. Do people ever send more than one book? Like, do you yeah. ever get just a whole box of books? Yeah, it gets more expensive for the customer, though, because the media mail is weight. So we're like, right. need is one. Um, but yeah, sometimes they come chock full of books. But it's still so dirt cheap. I used to, back in the day, I used to send like shitloads of DVDs, loads of DVDs, yeah. hundreds or thousands at a time. And uh, it was so, I couldn't believe, it was like basically free. Yeah, no, it's 3 to $5 to get these boxes back, and they're pretty big. Yeah, g- a great idea. Um, When, when you you're married to a gentleman named Brian. Yep. And um, he was an, he, he was an attorney. He's an attorney. Mm-hmm. You have four kids with him and you move out of comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And how, how does that work in the relationship? Like um, it, it's, those are pretty big choices mm-hmm. to, yeah. to, to agree on for two people, especially someone as ambitious as you. And he's put so much time into this, and into law school, but then now you're going to pack up and go. Yeah. We, you know, we're working with your spouse is hard too. When you're an entrepreneur, it's like you're, you do everything together and you have to make all these decisions together. Um, but luckily we kind of had eased into that. Um, so his dad was a farmer in Imperial Valley and then Tehama County. So in California, his, his family's also got strong, long roots in California, but uh, his dad was a farmer and Brian's the oldest of five kids. And he said, you know, hi, dad, I want to I want to do what you're doing. And his dad uh, said, there's there's no I can't barely feed my family with this money I'm making being a farmer. It's a hard living. You need to go do something and make money. And then maybe you go back to agriculture someday. Um, and his dad was very wise saying that he got Parkinson's very young and uh, died recently after a long, long battle with Parkinson's, but he gave Brian that really sage advice before when he was still kind of of sound mind. So Brian went to law school and he was working in real estate, kind of, he called it dirt law doing entitlement. So he was working with some like ranches, you know, figuring out lot lines and all that fun stuff. Um, but he worked for a big firm where, you know, it's billable hour and, and, and all these rules and late long nights. And after we got married, I think he, saw like, wait, you, you work for yourself. You have all this flexibility. Um, we're going to have a kid. Like, I don't want to be doing this billable hour for someone else. So he left the firm, basically hung his own shingle and just said, you know, law office of Brian Heffernan, I'm here if you need me. And he had his senior partners at the law firm. You are an idiot. This is career suicide. What are you doing? And he just said, you know, it's my family is going to be more important to me. And then the, the way that, you know, that was with one kid. He had one kid. Yeah, I was in 2005, 2006. And what were you doing then? 
I had three small businesses. I had the tutoring center. I had a kind of a drop-off play care center. <laughs> I had an errand running service called Go Go Menlo, where we sent oh. girls to do whatever errands you needed. It was like yeah. Task Rabbit before Task Rabbit. Um, I wasn't smart enough to make it an app, but uh, the so he, he, then 2008 comes around and all those senior partners are knocking on his door. Hey, this was really smart. We're leaving the firm too. Can we come with you? So then he built a firm. Wow. A small firm with, you know, four or five guys, but he had all that autonomy, you know, and it, it was the same thing. The entrepreneur life just gives you so much more benefits. There's where's work and risk and all the things. But, um, and then I accidentally started a restaurant. I would, did not mean to be a restaurateur. I had no experience with a restaurant, but I'd done all these other businesses. Like I said, kid and family focused. And we have two little kids by now. And we're like, we love to go out for good food get beer and wine and sit and enjoy a meal out. And you walk into a restaurant with two kids and they're like, Oh God, sit in the corner and eat as fast as you can and get out of here. So we're like, let's just build like a, a clubhouse. We'll cater in good food from one of these, you know, Califia or all these Google chefs at the time, all the restaurants in the Bay area. We'll just cater in the food. Um, but we'll get a beer and wine license and we'll have like areas kids can just play while you're eating and it's not weird but the aesthetic is going to be beautiful it's not going to be mcdonald's it's going to be like nice like where you want to go and get good wine and a good steak but your kids can come so we rented this little like uh cottage in los altos built it started building it out and realized well the health department is going to require us to have a full commercial kitchen to serve food unless it's airplane wrapped and saran wrap so we might as well just hire a chef so we opened up, literally looked at each other like, oh, what did we do? Breakfast, lunch, dinner, seven days a week, no restaurant experience. Like, this is crazy. So we had- What was it called? What was it called? It was called Bumble. It's, it, not, it, open. it's, it's not, not open. It's not open anymore. Mm -hmm. um, no, we sold it and then it ran for a few years and uh, didn't, I don't know what happened. But uh, we were thrown into this and then, but it, there was a line out the door. The concept was great. We just had to figure out like, you know, chefs and chef schedules and, you know, chefs are a different breed of, to manage and um, food costs and how to make it all work. And so we were learning as we went on that. And then we opened a second restaurant because that one was successful. Um, and by then Brian was helping me. He has is this the Instagram. Dude, this place is so cool. It was awesome. Imagine if you have little kids, look at that sandbox in the front yard. Um, we had a fish tank dividing a playroom in the back. So, you know, parents could look in and check on their kids. And we always had teachers in the back in the playroom, but the kids didn't see their parents. They just thought, so they just saw fish, but really healthy food, great quality beer, good coffee, good wine. Um, so Brian really kind of started helping me manage the restaurants. And he, you know, like I said, if food's always been important to him, he really enjoyed this aspect of like, running a business. And so we kind of, he was only doing maybe halftime law and halftime helping me run and start these businesses. So we had like a ramp, we had a runway to working together as entrepreneurs before we just picked up and moved to a 700 square foot cabin and became ranchers together. Um, and now, you know, he jokes, Mary raised, Brian raises it, Mary sells it. So we have our own paths, you know, we don't yeah. step on each other's toes. He's all cattle, all ranching. He's got two ranch hands, um, which is not a lot for the number of animals we raise. He does most of it himself. Um, and then I've got the shops, the selling, the branding, the marketing, 
And, you know, we, we have lunch together every day at our restaurant and the kind of powwow on like, what are we doing here? What things are we moving around? Where do we need to push? Um, but then, you know, we, uh, we don't second guess each other. We don't, you know, step on each other's toes. And that has really kind of, I think, been our, our secret to, to not going crazy. Was it, was it, um, was the move easy? Was it, was it contentious at all when you're like, Hey, no, how about buying the ranch originally? Was that contentious? No, we were on the same page. I think we were really both burnt out on the Bay Area. You know, it wasn't like, oh, are we leaving this life for another? We were like, go, like run. Okay, that's nice. I can't do this anymore. You know, my parents met all their best friends when I went to kindergarten, still their best friends. And so we sent our first to kindergarten thinking, we're so excited. We can't wait to meet our new best friends for like the second part of our life. And we just looked around like, where, where are they? These, you know, these people are consumed with like, did you go to Maui or are you going to Europe? And you know, you don't have a pool and you don't have a pool guy. You don't have a guest house. Like you don't fly private. You know, it was like a whole nother level of wealth. And we were like, I don't really think these are the kids we want our kids to be around. So it was like a, such an easy decision to be like, we're not doing that. We're, we're moving to this small town with people who work hard and have these values and we're going to make our kids be scrappy. You know, they shared one bed for the first year and a half, four kids in a double bed. Cause it was, this house was teeny tiny. And then we kind of expanded up into the attic and they all had their own bed, but they shared a room. Um, but you know, we're, we're out there. If we don't cut firewood, we're in trouble. So Sunday afternoon, every Sunday, our whole life so far, we're out there cutting firewood as a family. And you get such satisfaction from that. And my kids are, you know, they'll do anything. Remember the second year we moved here, um, my daughter said, mom, let's get a Christmas tree. Let's get a Christmas tree. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We will one, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. They're like, no, screw you, mom. They jump in an ATV. They drive a mile up into the mountains with a battery operated handsaw. They cut down a tree. They bring that thing back. They're hauling it in the house. So proud of themselves, decorated it all their own. We're like, good job. You solved, you solved your problem. That's awesome. Got it. So, uh, it, there were, we saw so many benefits that it was like, all right, I can deal without the, the amenities of the life I had or going to, you know, get my hair done, get my nails done, all the things that I was used to. Um, but we took, we sold the businesses. He gave his law practice to a friend and then we didn't sell the house for like three months. Cause my husband was like, I, I'm not sure you can hack this like this life. He's like, I can, I know I can, I don't need nice things, but I don't know if you can. So we waited three months and, um, you know, there were some hard, there were some hard adjustments, but we, there was no looking back for what we gained. Why did you sell the house? Why not rent it out? Um, we didn't want the, you know, hassle of renters. And then we thought this market's gonna, this bubble's gonna pop and it hasn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It it was, it's a pretty deep, uh, investment to keep a house in the Bay area these days. Yeah. It, um, are, do you, speaking about uh, money, do you do property? Do you guys own property besides that? Do you do, do just our, no. our, uh, we had like a rental house in town that we did Airbnb and it was too hard to manage people and that, but no, only our commercial properties. Um, and okay. My dad would like that. My dad's all, I, I'm a, I, my, I like residential. My dad's like commercial, commercial, commercial. Okay. So, so, so these places, when you move into them, you buy the buildings also, you, you like to buy the buildings and own, yeah. and own the property. The, what about internet when you get there? Like, like are, your, your picture is pretty good right now. Fiber. We've got fiber here. Wow. Okay. 
Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of, you know, like government benefits in small towns. There's a, they applied for a grant and they got fiber here. Wow. It, it, and so that's never an issue. No, we have Starlink at home because they, they haven't ran fiber out that far yet. Um, and it's fine, but it's better in town here. How long have you had Starlink? Like a year and a half, maybe. Have you done a podcast out of there? I've done I've, like my Zoom calls won't even work on it. So I haven't even tried. Interesting. A OK, OK. Uh, my dad's an Armenian. He keeps wanting me to visit. And I'm like and I, they just got Starlink there. And I'm like, God, can I do my podcast with Starlink? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, the, I only have the residential. They have a commercial. I wonder if that has more bandwidth. But it's fine for everything else. I just notice on Zoom sometimes it tells me unstable connection. But it, that could be something else going on in our universe. It might work. Um, what about uh, uh, Amazon? Does Amazon deliver to your house? Yep. When we were first moved here, same thing as everyone else, you know, next day, two-day delivery. Now they have kind of gotten smart to rural areas, and it's like might be three or four days. But no, it's it still still works. It's even like that in Santa Cruz. For a while, you could you, you we I could grocery shop on Amazon. Yeah, and it was pretty crazy. And the mail lady would come to my house, and it, the entire mail truck would be just my groceries because they would put them in those those totes or yeah, in the totes. And then yeah. eventually, after a year of that, Amazon's like, "Fuck you, we're not doing that anymore." <laughs> I know. But you know what was great about that whole the, that mindset during the pandemic was every now everybody's like, oh, yeah, ship meat to my door. Because for the first five years, I had to really tell people it's it's OK. I'm going to I'm going to put meat in the box with dry ice and it's going to come to your doorstep. And they're like, you can't mail meat. That is not going to work. So that now everybody's like, yeah, whatever. Just ship it to me. That's really been helpful for our business. So the pandemic was good for you. Yeah. I mean, you know, as much as you can say it was a good thing, there was a lot of hard things, but um, the after effects is people are more used to shopping online and buying groceries online and um, getting things delivered to their doorstep. And for a little while during it, you know, there was a couple meat shortage times. And then people were like, I restocked our website with like 30,000 pounds of meat and we sold out in 17 minutes. Yeah, dude, the pandemic was good for you, Mary. The pandemic was good for you. (laughs) I love it. It wasn't bad. Hey, um, same with the the gym equipment space. People who were selling gym equipment murdered wealthy overnight. Crazy. Yeah, Yeah, crazy. Yeah, but that's kind of dropped off because everyone has one now, whereas there's still – we got a lot of people hooked on our meat that are still buying. Yeah, right, right. People still need uh, meat. Um, Do you – do you see um, the limits of your operation constantly? Like, are you like, okay, if 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 we put on this many customers, this eighteen hundred acres isn't going to cut it? Yeah, we're going to reach a point soon where that's as much meat as we can raise. Um, I'd say we're within twenty percent of that right now. Oh wow! Um, okay. And you know all the infrastructure we've built. So like, we have this beautiful full service butchery, Five Marys Custom Meat Co we can't, we, you know, we can only dry age so much meat. So we're, we're getting closer to that kind of, uh, stopping point, but, um, I think it'll just, you know, make it a little easier for me to sell meat right now. I still, every week I got to send a newsletter, do a special, like I have to move that meat like actively every week. Um, but we're, uh, looking into doing more, um, like lifestyle, home goods, doing some kitchen, kitchen wear, um, and kind of expanding our brand in, in other areas. 
have, have you have you have you run into any um integrity or value issues um with with the company i, I give you just two things with with the podcast um some, someone came to me and they said hey I want to uh, this Paper Street Coffee Company that I drink their coffee. They said, "Hey, we want to support your podcast." And I said, "Okay, but I already drink this other kind of coffee." And they're like, "Yeah, but we're going to give you this much money a month." I said, "Yeah, but I drink it." He's like, "Fine, I don't give a fuck what you say. I like your show, and I'm going to give you money every month. You don't have to drink my coffee. You can even say you don't like it." I was like, "Well, shit, I'll take your money." Yeah. So, uh, and and then eventually he started sending me coffee, and I started drinking his coffee, and I'm like, "Shit, this I'm drinking your coffee." Um, Right. Or or there's another company on here, California Hormones. They sell testosterone replacement therapy for men. Okay. And I'm like, there's no fucking way I'll ever do that. I'm not taking testosterone. I'm not doing, I'm not, I'm not taking testosterone. They're like, we don't care. We love your show. <laughs> so I was able to like, t- t- you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, you don't um, sell out. You're still authentic, but you, I still get to tell the truth. But, but yeah, do you, I'm guessing the food industry, there's all sorts of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like there's yeah. choices every day. It's like, oh shit. And and I heard you say that you 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 don't want to show the bad side of farming, but you want to be honest. And I'm like that too. Like I show all the good things I do. I I try not to show when I'm out getting drunk on my Instagram. Not because I'm hiding it, but I don't. I'm not interested in promoting that. Yeah. But I'm not hiding it. That's what I tell my entrepreneur people. Like you, people are voyeuristic. They want to the real story. And also by by opening that window into your life, they trust you. Like you're, you know, they trust you because you're like, I'm not going to tell you I like this coffee unless I really like this coffee. I'm going to tell you it's shit. Right. If it's shit, you know, for us, we're, or, but the truth is I won't even tell them if it's shit j- just to, to put in there. I just yeah. wouldn't say anything. Like I tell them that too. Like, Hey, I'm not going to bad mouth these people. Yeah. But if I don't say anything, you should probably know. <laughs> and that's what I say. Like you, we share the good and the bad, but we don't right. share the ugly. You know, there's a certain okay. stuff that, that stays off social media, but for us, like if a calf was born dead, you don't show that. I might tell the story. Okay. Calf has a huge abscess that needs to be lanced and it's got infection coming out. There's some gross stuff in ranching. I'm not showing that. Cause I want people right. to envision delicious, perfect, yummy, neat. Right. But I do share the hard days because that I think, people, they want to know, they don't want to, they don't want to think that ranching is all sunshine and rainbows. You know, there's hard days. We'll have a, a pig Pharaoh and have a litter and all the piglets are stillborn. And you're like, shit. And people are interested. Like, wow. How does that affect their bottom line? How does that affect their mental state? Like they just did all this work and they're all dead. Um, I think that is important to share. And that's why people trust us because we're showing the good parts and the bad parts. Um, there's just a certain level of stuff people don't need to see, you know, like, the gross stuff is what I'm not, I'm not putting on Instagram, but, uh, I think it's, it is really important to stay true to your values. And my husband is like, so hardcore about that, that he really makes sure I stay in line. Cause sometimes, you know, you want to use superlatives and we'll say, you know, all this meat at five Mary's is raised on our ranch. And he's like, well, that's not true, Mary, because some of the calves we buy are six months old and they, so they, they lived on someone else's ranch. So Right. You need to clarify that for people. And I'm like, all right, all right, you're right. Yeah, I do. I that's do. cool. That's that. cool. I'm more where you are and my wife does what your husband does. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. I'll be like, what? Who gives a fuck about the first six months? She's like, no, nah, no, nah, just tell him. Then don't just tell him. Yeah, no, it's true. So it's a good, it's a good balance because he makes sure that I'm telling the whole story. But, you know, we've seen people in this industry 
cut corners, get big. You know, we looked at growing and scaling with uh, bringing in a partner and, and scaling this operation because we've built a strong brand. And we, we, ha- we said no, because if we scale, we lose what we're doing and we lose the quality. Um, but there was an operation who had a ranch here that was based in, in Oakland and Hollywood, Malibu, and they got too big and they were buying, they were doing things that weren't right. And they got, they, it blew up in a fiery crash eventually. And we kind of were just watching like, what's going to happen at some point. So integrity is really important. And, you know, if you don't have that, you're not going to be successful long-term. Karma, karma bites. Yeah. And, and I guess that's a story that's uh, common in a lot of businesses. I'm, I'm reading into it, what you're saying, but where the margins become, better to buy from someone else and put your label on it until you get caught 100 percent. but yeah, yeah you can't you can't do that i mean you can well, for a while and then it, it it'll come back to bite you how, how um how, was brian in shape before he started working um the ranch like 10 years ago did he stay in shape i mean he looks he looks like you got a strong beautiful man but was he always was he ready for the ranch he, you know he's uh well, before I met him, he he had a point in his life he was like over three hundred pounds, not in no shit. Yeah, and he got to a point. How he tall said, is he? He's tall, right? Six five. Six five. Yeah, shortest one in his family. Wow. Okay. Wow. But uh, yeah, he got to a point. He said, "This was before I met him." He said that I this isn't the life I want, and so he signed up for a marathon, never having run one. Ran a marathon, lost a bunch of weight. Um, and then when we lived in the Bay area, he would, his outlet was going on hunts, you know, going to Alaska on a moose hunt where they'd drop them off on a riverfront and say, we'll pick you up in 21 days. And, you know, here's a sat phone, but it might not work. So he did kind of those extreme hunts and hikes and, um, he would stay in shape. You know, he's always been a really good, good dad. And when we had little kids, you know, it's hard to be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for a run for an hour and a half. So he would put rice and beans in his hunting backpack and hike up and down the trellis of our backyard over and over. Um, and now he still hikes. You know, he's physically working out. We we feed our cattle hay. The first year that we were here, we did what's called small bales. They're about 70, 80, 90 pounds each. And we loaded, he loaded 1.3 million pounds of hay that we fed the cattle in a couple months in the winter. Every morning out there loading, you know, 60 bales, feeding them to the cattle. Tell me those numbers again. He did what? 1.3 million pounds of hay. He he loaded onto a tractor. Him himself, onto- not not even help. That's the math on. Yeah. 1.3 million pounds. Every winter. Um, but now he, he, he hikes. He still puts on a big heavy backpack and hikes up our mountain. Um, you know, every other day he likes to stay in shape. Um, uh, how tall are you? I'm 5'10". Oh, wow. You're tall, too. Yeah, we've our girls are, are pretty tall. Uh, Cave Dastro. Uh, Sevon, he's two feet taller than you. That, <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. Uh, Melissa, um, now, Sevon, you're full of uh, peptides. I, I, I settle down. I'm not full of peptides. I, <laughs> I, I, I dabbled in some peptides. Leave me alone. <laughs> These people that that's wild. And, um, are your daughters, your, so your daughters are strong too. Yeah, they are. They are. They all, so they, they, they rope, which is so cool. And this whole rodeo sport, um, you know, I never thought I'd be a rodeo mom, but we have a semi truck that we pull this 52 foot trailer that has living quarters and room for six horses and eight saddles and all their tack. 
Um, and we travel around to rodeos and camp out for the weekend while the kids compete in barrel racing and rope, uh, goat tying, pole bending, but they're little ropers, which is kind of like, I could never do it. It's amazing. You know, they're full speed on a horse, swinging a rope. They catch a dally on their saddle and they're doing team roping and all these sports that, you know, Yellowstone, the move, the TV show for better or worse has really like been good for the, in, the industry, ranching industry. Cause people now are like, wait, what is this? What is this world? And like, you know, Yellowstone has the, the uh, Dallas drama side of it, but to sh- it's team roping and these rodeo sports have become a lot more popular um, since the show. Um, does your husband carry uh, uh, a gun with him everywhere he goes? Yep, I do too. I mean, not, I don't off the ranch, but on the ranch, um, you know, we've got bears, mountain lions. We've had wolves. The first, the first wolf in California it's camped out on our ranch one winter for three months. We had it on game cameras, like the same as our livestock guardian dogs, like minutes of each other. Did you? Uh, what about mountain lions? Yeah, we we see mountain lions. We had a, a mountain lion kill sixty of our sheep one year. Oh the- my god! Yeah, it was terrible. Why sixty? Well, just an asshole move. He's just trying to kill him. He's not even eating them. Teaching her young to kill. Oh my god! Yeah, and so, but you got to oh. get a depredate. You can't just shoot a mountain lion. You got to get a depredation permit. So the first night, twenty. We call the county trapper. He says, yeah, that's a mountain lion. The second night kills 20 more. You ha- they have to kill three times before you get a, or they have to kill twice before you get a permit. So then they got the depredation permit and they were out there. My husband and the county trapper. Yeah, that's our rig. Isn't that insane? Dude, that truck is yummy. Wait, so it wasn't, when you say kill twice, you mean it had to kill two separate times. 20 yeah. wasn't enough. Yeah. Hey, wait, uh, off the record you just go out there and say that uh the mountain lion was going to kill you (laughs) even that like the the when the wolf was here you couldn't even try to scare the wolf the wolves were here before us so you can't try to scare them you have to just move your livestock so that they're safe but the hey is priority they can't be like that in idaho that's just a california thing california is the harshest yeah it's weird that it's weird that, that where you live is even considered California. Those people up there must hate being uh, lumped up with us ding dongs down here. Well, you have heard the state of Jefferson movement. They've been trying to make its own state since like for like 50, 60 years. Yeah, don't leave us. We need you. <laughs> people ask me all the time, why don't you leave? It's like because I'm not a coward. I'm staying. Yeah. I'm staying and I'm I'm walking around barefoot and like no mask and I'm doing my thing with my kids. <laughs> Hey, this truck is crazy. Yeah, it really is. So it's a seven-passenger semi. Um, he has a Class A. I, tech, I could drive it without the truck, but he has a Class A to drive it with the trailer. I mean, who made who makes that? It's a Schwalbe conversion. There's this guy <laughs> who like converted these trucks. It's a Peterbilt, but it's got the Schwalbe conversion. So there's a bench seat in the back that turns into a bed, and then like four. It's like an expedition and you get in it and you're, you're like a truck driver. It's like bouncing around. It's, it's pretty amazing. And then we live in that front part and we haul six horses around. We'll go as far as like rodeos in Utah. We got to, you have to stop at a fairgrounds that like you can board your horses for the night. Cause they can't just ride in that thing for more than eight hours. It's like a whole culture. Um, who watches the ranch when you guys do that? We have two ranch hands, um, that we really trust. They've, one of them's been here for three or four years and he's like Brian's like right hand. 
Um, and he cares as, you know, as much as we do. So we bring in a couple other extra people to help them when we're gone. Um, but we've, we're lucky to be at a point now where we can leave. And those horses live on your property. Yeah. We've got like 13 or 14 horses. They only travel with like the, their ones are competitive with at that time. And your girls, do they each have their own horse like that? Hey, that one's mine. Yeah. And what's crazy about rodeos, sometimes they need two horses. Here's Brian. You come say hi. I'm still podcasting. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Hey, what's up, dude? Not much. Not much. Hey, where do, were you tickled when you got that truck? Were you tripping? Were you like, oh my goodness? <laughs> it's a lot of a lot of bling. More bling than I'm used to. Oh, dude, it's beautiful. That looks so fun. And congratulations on having a beautiful wife and four amazing daughters, dude. You're you're a blessed man. I'm a lucky guy. More than I deserve. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you for letting us borrow your wife in the morning and share it with the audience. You bet. You bet. I can't. Wow. Uh, um, special guest appearance by Brian from Five Mary's <laughs> Ranch, uh, formerly 300, 300 pounds. A cameo. Um, hey, what about the whole keto movement and this whole carnivore movement and just all this? I mean, I mean, the mainstream media, you know, is, is has declared war on meat, but basically all the healthiest people in the world like myself, these, these specimens like myself, we've all embraced meat. Um, has it been a boon for business, even even with the war that the um, sick America has declared on meat? It's it's crazy that this that the sickest part of America has declared war on the industry that all the healthiest people uh, have embraced. But whatever, yeah. fuck them. Uh, no, it's how, just has and there's always going to be you know the pendulum's always going to swing. We just like don't listen to the noise. It's like if you want to eat lab grown meat go for it. Yeah. Enjoy. Okay. Okay. You're not going to enjoy it, but you can try. We really just like to, you know, not say you should eat this. You shouldn't eat that. We just don't soapbox. It's like, we raise a really good product. You are not mm -hmm. going to find better meat than this. Here it is. If you want it, if you don't, you go do your thing. But has, has people the do they want, they want clean meat. They want to know the story behind it. They want to trust it. And these days you can't always trust those those labels, those stickers. We don't certify organic. We don't certify anything because it's just red tape and it costs you more. It costs us more. We just want our customers to know that we're raising the best quality with the standards that we're going to feed our own kids. And that's what they want to. Yeah, that's cool. And people can come up and, and it, people can come up and look. Yeah. Yeah. And see it. And they, you know, they don't have to because these days, you know, it used to be that there was a butcher shop in every small town and there was farmers and ranchers, you know, on the outskirts of every town. But now that doesn't happen. You know, we're so much more segregated. Um, but thanks to Instagram, they can see what we do every day. You know, I'm out there checking cows, showing it on Instagram. We have a calf born. We're showing the whole process. And that's really all people need to feel that level of comfort. Like I see, I see how you raise them. I trust you. I want to buy your product. Um, and I can ship it to somebody in Florida or New York from our California ranch. So it kind of is like the best of both worlds of this old school. I'm your neighbor. You can see what I do and trust me, but you don't have to live here. I can ship it to you 3000 miles away and it'll get there in 12 hours overnight. And you're having it for dinner. Did you notice that there was a, you know, I would say we're still in it, but a couple of years ago, there was a big ketosis keto movement. Did that affect your business also? Yeah. I mean, I think, what I've seen is like when people are super into the the keto or the paleo or whatever, they're not always the ones looking for the super quality. They're just more mm. concerned with like 
I just want meat all the time. And maybe, you know, the price point, our thing is like, our meat's a little bit more expensive. Although these days it's really not because grocery store meat has gone up in price so much. And we're like, we don't, we can't really raise our prices that much more. Um, so we're not that much more expensive, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's the accessibility. We go for the people who are like, I want to know and trust, and I care about the quality of every bite. And maybe I don't need to eat as much meat because I'm paying a little bit more for really good quality meat. So that mm. seems to be like more of our customer base. <coughs> the, the paleo or keto guys are like, I need to go to Costco because I need so much meat that I just want to like stock up and I don't really care as much where it's from or what it's doing. Um, uh, Seema Globes, um, does Brian have a single brother? I own a ranch near them. No, he has two brothers and they're uh, six foot nine and six foot eight and they're both um, taken with children. Uh, well, well, hold on a sec here, Mary. Don't get crazy. Uh, I don't have a middle name and I would even change it to Mary. <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> I love you, Seema. You're awesome. That's good. That's flexible. Very flexible. She brought, she brought a husband, uh, seven hours away from the city and, and you're, you're willing to change your name. <laughs> um, how, how, uh, a lot of people are going to want to do what you have done. They're going to romanticize it. They're not going to have the balls to do it. Um, they're going to do it and fail. Right. I mean, those are all the other, those are the other options. Um, let me start here. If you would have known how much work it's it, it was going to be, would you have still done it? You know, people ask me that about kids. I'm like, I love my kids. I want three more, but I wouldn't. But God, I, I can't. It's so much fucking work. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. You can't even get your head wrapped around. If you think about it, you'll go run out and jump off a cliff. Is it like yeah. that what you've done? Yeah. I mean, we look back at the hurdles that we've had to overcome and, you know, in California, mm -hmm. too, it's so hard. The regulations and like this you know, we have to, there's build. really regulations up there. They come up there. Yeah. California water. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hardcore. Um, if we, if somebody had said, these are all the things that you're going to have to figure out a way around, I think, you know, we would have sec we would have second guessed it, but we also are people who are like, you're only going to be successful if you figure out a way around those things, you know, and I kind of like the challenge. Like if things were smooth all the time, you'd be like, well, that's, that's boring. When, when we're like, here's a big issue, you know, the roads are closed. We can't get our cows to the butcher shop today. I mean, that's a small thing, but like, all right, let's go, let's figure out a way around this. We can go to here. We can figure out this. We'll get somebody to help us here. Like there's always a solution. You just got to find it. And for me, that's kind of like, the high of being an entrepreneur is like, I, I'm going to find a way through this and I'm going to do it right now. Um, and you can always, you can always do that, but is it easy? No, it's not. And if somebody told you all the things at once, you'd be like, I, that's, that's a lot, but you take it one day at a time and you solve those problems one at a time. And, um, you kind of are a little, you, you stand a little taller when you, when you've solved those problems. So, um, just I'm just thinking of a, a problem you must have. You have to have so many boxes on hand, and then you need a place to store them, and then you need dry ice, and you're in the middle of nowhere. Where do you get that dry ice? And, like, those are, like, real problems. Yeah, and that's very intuitive of you. Most people don't think about that. But, yeah, getting dry ice was a huge problem in the beginning. And where do we, like, source these boxes? So 10 years ago, you know, I did buy – six months to a year of trial and error on the boxes. I found the best boxes. And now 
That's what everybody across the country at ranches doing direct to consumer is using because they've seen us do it or, you know, they've taken my course. So we really did then kind of have to pioneer this because there was nobody else doing it. Um, dry ice, you know, you can, some people think you can ship with gel packs. Gel packs are the same temperature as your meat. So they both thaw together. You might as well not even have them in there. Dry ice is at negative 119 degrees. So it pulls the temperature of everything down in that box. So you have so that, you know, everything pulls the temperature down when that dry ice is sublimated, then the temperature starts rising. So you have to have dry ice. Is it easy to get? No. So for the first years, I would, I found a supplier in uh, Medford, Oregon, about an hour and a half North. And I would have to drive there and dry ice doesn't last forever. (laughs) You know, it sublimates like in a day, if you don't have a lot of it, I would have to drive there early in the morning on days that I would ship, come back. Maybe I got a few more orders in. I got to go back, get more dry ice. Um, It was a hassle. It was a, you know, something we had to say, well, we can't do it without this. So we just got to make it happen. Now we're getting 6,000 pounds of dry ice delivered every week to ship our boxes. This, this week we went through those 6,000 pounds. Where's it shipped from? Is it shipped from Medford still? From Medford, but Sacramento is like the main distributor. Air gas does dry ice. And when do you make your own, um, when do you know to make your own dry ice uh, manufacturer out in the middle of your, in Fort Jones? You're like, fuck it. I'm making my own dry ice. We looked at it, but the machines are like 10 grand and you still have to get the CO2 delivered. Okay just as easy to get the dry ice delivered if you can find a place that'll do it. So we, you know, we years of figuring it out and we've now we have a good solution for that. Do all the girls have their own room now? They do, but they kind of all share. They, they all end up, I go up there and they're all sleeping in the same bed. Yeah. That, but my kids too, I six, six <laughs> and eight and the, I, the boys all still sleep in the same bed together. And I'm like, dude, you got, everyone has their own shit. What are you doing? Yeah. So you've got twins, six year old twins and an eight year old. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, they it's good sibling relationship. <laughs> um uh do do you think that they move away um when they when they're older or what do you, you know, think ha- happens in the next 10 years? Such an interesting thing to think about. I I I hope that they do. You know, I don't want them to just stay here in this small town. Like I hope that they go spread their wings and, you know, experience life and live in New York City or wherever it is and um, experience different States and different people, you know, my live in the South, my sister lives in Nashville and I love the experience she's had, but I think some of them maybe will come back. Um, I don't know. I used to think that's the ultimate goal in life. You know, I want all my kids to live near me, but my mom had two girls and two boys and the girls flew the coop. You know, I'm six hours North by car and my sister's in Nashville and my brothers both still live there. But what's fun is like coming home is so much more special when you don't just live there. And, you know, having your parents visit where instead of just going over for dinner, you're there, you know, you're living there, you're waking up together, you're sitting around the fire at night. So we'll be happy, you know, even if they all leave, we didn't build this for any pressure for them to say, you got to take over this family ranch. You know, our goal is they take the tools here to start their own business, but if they want to, they could. And that's kind of what's driven us to have so many different avenues in the, you know, in the what we, in our operation, we have a restaurant, we do whiskey and wine. Um, we do hospitality, we do retail, we do books, you know, if there's an Avenue that they're interested in, you know, great, you go and take this, but I kind of hope they all pick their own thing and, and, um, just take what they've learned here. And if this ranch doesn't succeed to the next generation, um, that's, you know, that might be for the better for them. You never know. I'm going to, I'm going to push back on that in, in one second. Uh, clock. Um, uh, did she say that she's the 
the one who first designed dry ice meat shipping? No, she didn't. She said she uh, made a contribution to it. Jeffrey Birchfield, do they have their own slaughter facility? Yes, they do. O on the on the property. On the ranch. USDA yeah, certified. Temple Grandin designed. And poor part. How old is Temple Grandin now? I, I can't believe she's still alive. I know. That's a lot of people can't believe she is. I think she's in her late 70s, but she, she's just an icon. She's like in, in amazing to work with. Has she come up to your property? No, she doesn't. I don't think she travels. Well, she does okay. travel for speaking engagements, but no, we, it was all just over um, over the phone. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know who that is, look her up, read her book. I, I in a, in a nutshell, she had autism, and she and she she she. she I don't want to say she healed herself, but she healed herself. She she unfucked herself. Mm. Kind of wild story. And connects with animals on like a deeper level. There's a great documentary. Uh, I wonder what she thinks about microdosing. A different story. Um, uh, wouldn't it be aren't you excited about grandkids though Mary wouldn't it be nice to have fucking 20 grandkids on the property and for sure I would love communal living would make me happier than anything but you know you don't want to put that pressure on your kids so if, but if it happens yes I would be very happy um, are you a homesteader no I don't really consider myself a homesteader I think you know we don't we have milk cows and they are nursemaids so if we have bottle baby if we have orphans when we are calving then we give them to the the jersey cows because they can feed like three babies so we don't have to make bottles every day but i'm not out there milking a cow um i actually hate chickens i chickens are like dinosaurs and just <laughs> they are like dinosaurs and um how could you hate dinosaurs dinosaurs are cool aren't they I like dinosaurs. I don't like chickens. Wait, a homesteader by definition is someone who goes to live and grow crops on land given by the government, especially in the past. Oh, I guess that's not you. No, you're a I farmer. Okay, you're a farmer. The definition of homesteader is you want to be self-sufficient. So you have your milk cow, you have your eggs, you have maybe yeah. one, one cow for beef, yeah. you have a yeah. couple pigs. Um, we're doing this because we believe in that in raising really great quality beef to share with people all over the country. We're not like, we need to be self-sufficient. You don't, don't you want to be? Doesn't that sound fun? Like, um, we what are the, if, 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 you know, the apocalypse comes, yeah, we're good. We're good. <laughs> we got yeah. water storage. We got food storage. We got animals that we could harvest. We got the facility to harvest them. Uh, yeah. We could be ourselves and our neighbors for a long time. But, you know, I, I, I'd figure out a way to milk one of the cows, but that's not like what I'm doing, you know, on a daily basis. Do you like milk? You personally? No, no, you don't. Do your kids like it? Mm, chocolate milk. <laughs> Does Brian like it? Um, he doesn't like reach for a glass of milk. No, like, like raw milk. He didn't like take a big old scoop of raw milk and you open it and you take a spoon and you take that love of fat off. He didn't do I, that. No, <laughs> oh. We do. There's an organic dairy right next to us and we get a lot of, we get milk from him sometimes. I like making butter, but. Uh, Mary, this is my friend, Travis. Uh, he has just started a small business a couple of years ago that grew big enough so that he um, could quit his day job, which is pretty cool. Mary, when starting your business, mm -hmm. uh, how did you manage debt? Uh, did you accrue a lot of debt? Don't need numbers. Uh, my biggest fear as a small business. Yeah, it's a great question, especially uh, in agriculture, because people do, there's a big barrier for entry. You know, a tractor costs $75,000. A silo costs $80,000. Everything that breaks is like a $10,000 fix. So it would be naive to say, oh, you, you know, just jump in, make it happen. We had a little savings from selling these businesses that we came to this with. And we, 
you know, try to avoid debt as much as possible. Um, we're big in reinvesting what we're making to pay for what we need. Uh, and I think that really comes with that, like, concept of being scrappy. You know, I'm not going to pay somebody five grand to build my website. Is is it going to be perfect? No, but it's going to serve its function. And it's going to be free because I did it myself. And, you know, we lived this 760 square foot house. We thought we'll live in this for a year and then we'll build a nice house because that's what, you know, people do, right? We're grown adults. We should have a house that has heat and amenities. Well, we realized like there's so much we need to do to invest in this business to make it work. So we're going to live minimally for the next, you know, we didn't put a number on it, but it turned out to be eight years in that little house. And then we kind of fixed up this old ranch house. And now we live in that, but we still don't have heat. We still have to cut firewood. You know, we live as minimally as we can and invest back in the business. You know, people say, Do you, don't you pay yourself a salary? Like, no, we take what we need to live, but we make decisions very carefully on like, you know, what's important to us. Um, does that rodeo rig cost a lot? Yes. <laughs> but we're also like, here's our window of having children at home and here's how we spend time with them. That's what we're going to prioritize our money, but we don't prioritize, you know, spending money on ourselves on fancy vacations on any of this because yeah, yeah. we, we put it back in the business. And when there's something we say, okay, we, we really want to do this. We want to buy a new tractor with $75,000. That's when I would do those glamping retreats and say, okay, if I do four weekends, with this many people, I can make the money to buy that tractor. So it was more like there's necessity. What can I do to get scrappy to make that money and put it back in the business? That's that's what I'm going to do. And you reap the rewards from that long term. Is it easy? No, but it's a great solution. Yeah. Okay. Uh, work harder uh, is what she said, Travis. Uh, be, be innovative. Try not to accrue debt. Um, and you might not, you know, if your goal is this, you, it might not be a singular path to get there. You might have to do some other things to make money to get there. And that's, I think, very normal. But debt's not the only, the only answer. Um, Mary, do you have ideas that you know are just, just like, like if you just poke this idea with the, with the straw, it's going to shoot oil out of the ground, but you just don't either have the bandwidth or the time or the resources or the location to do it. Like you're like, fuck the paper straw, paper straws are so fucked and I could innovate and make a killing with paper straws with these idiot environmentalists who are, do you, do you, uh, do you have ideas like that? Like, yeah, I think, you know, Brian and I are both like big idea people, but um, bandwidth is definitely an issue. And you know, share, I share an idea that we can run and steal from you. What do you got? What do you got? What, what can I, what can I be like, dude, like I'm to the paper straw industries, like someone in the United States got so rich overnight. There was only one paper straw manufacturer in the United States. And then like five States made it where you had to use paper straws and they're horrible, but they had no competition. And I read an article on the guy and he became like a fucking gazillionaire overnight. Really? And now paper straws, I don't know if you, recently they reported paper straws have poison in them that are more toxic for the, the environment and the people who drink out of them than plastic straws. I'm like, well, of course. Well, that was, like, so, was so funny <clears throat> in California. It was right before the pandemic. It was like, save the turtles, all paper straws. And then we go to to go the to go materials that got wasted during COVID. Yeah. Like, orders is insane. Yeah. Like, or just masks are everywhere. Oh, yeah. Right. No. Everywhere you go, the beach is covered in masks. You're like, what's going on here? Yeah, it's crazy. 
Uh, do you have some ideas where you're like, oh, man, I need to execute on, or like just even stuff like you see when you get into the tractor, you're like, okay, uh, uh, there's 247,000 tractors in the United States and they all need this modification. So when people get in their, their gun doesn't get hooked on, on the, on the side of the door. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there's, we have these like innovations that we have to figure out in ranching because they like products don't exist. Like we do rotational grazing and we have these huge irrigation pivots that go around, well, since the, you know, rotational grazing is kind of a new thing, you can't have fence lines in between the pivots. So we had to engineer these pivot gates that have a bucket of concrete and a garage door spring and a pulley so that when the wheels go through, they push the gate down. But then when the pivot goes through, the gate goes back up because you don't want your cattle and your sheep mixing up. And it's okay. like, why doesn't this product exist? Because there's pivots all over the country and all these people are doing rotational grazing, but the agricultural world is not really big enough to have a huge market and farmers and ranchers are just like, I'll just go do it myself. So they, they innovate, they figure these things out, they build them, but scaling them doesn't always work because you know, we're not, a, we're not a big farming ranching industry anymore. The percentage of people in that industry is like very small. Um, so you do have ideas. There's stuff out there. There's stuff out there, but you know, I'm more of a like small town. Like I see an opportunity. <clears throat> I want to like physically build it right here. I've never really had a business that was like a large scale or, um, you know, a production. I'm, I like the, the shops and the services and the needs and, you know, filling those needs. That's kind of where my mind is. Um, have you ever, are you, do you see a timeline for this when you're like, okay, um, Brian and I are getting up and we're going to move to Hawaii and we're going to get into surfboard manufacturing. No, we're pretty happy here. <laughs> yeah. I think we, you know, we, we found a place that we really like and, you know, we've talked about it like, Oh, do we want to like move somewhere else? Like, should we, you know, build that house we've always wanted to build here. But I think for us, you know, our kids roots are here. This is where they grew up. And for us, there's a, there's something nice about our kids always being able to come back home to where they grew up and where Brian and I are like, we could be happy kind of anywhere. Um, I think we're, we're most we're going to be most happy here because it's where it's where we raised our family and where kind of we'll always feel like home. Wow. Do your, um, do you have Silicon Valley friends who come up and visit you? Yeah. There's a private okay. airport right here. <laughs> oh, gotcha. And fly out. Oh, no, awesome. it's a little airstrip. But yeah, people come and I think they're, um, I think that's was part of our success in the, when we grew, you know, we grew this Instagram following, following when we were so early because people were shocked. Like, how do you leave the Bay area? How do you leave this land of opportunity and nice things? And, you know, a lot of people think that's the goal in life is to live somewhere like that, where, you know, there, there are all those things. And like, why would you leave that? to move to this small town. Like that seems like you're going backwards. So I think people were really fascinated to watch and, and see, is this going to fail? And, um, how, how are they actually doing this? So people do come up and are kind of shocked, um, by, you know, what the change that we've made. Has, has, go ahead. And I think they it. like to, a lot of people romanticize this life, you yeah. know, like, well, it's a ranch, especially, you know, with the Yellowstone phenomenon. I want to, I want to be on the ranch. I want to be a part of it. 
Um, and they do for like short periods of time, but then they see like, I don't, I don't want to work that hard. I don't want to give up that. So I, I like visiting you, but I don't want your life. Um, how has your perspective changed? Like having kids for me was a massive, just like awakening for me. Um, how has living out there changed your view? Has it changed your views on the world? That's a good question. I mean, I think it has given me more hope in like the next generation when I see these country kids, you know, I think that I, I was at fault too, when we lived in, in the Bay area of entitling my kids and even at very young ages, like, Oh, you need, you need your sippy cup filled. You know, you need the TV turned on for you. Meanwhile, like four-year-olds are operating iPhones. Like they know how to work all these apps here. I was like, you, you know, there's so much to do. Brian and I are out here. Like you guys need to figure out how to make dinner, how to do the laundry. Yeah. Four-year-old can, can do the laundry. They can operate a washer and dryer better than they can operate an app. We don't expect that of them. So I had to raise my expectations out of necessity and the result in these like immediately capable kids that were like so proud to be a part of it was shocking. And these kids where we live, you know, like, I had a little, we, we had chickens and eggs when we first started. And I, I had a little uh, roadside egg stand out in front of the ranch. And I see this kid, this truck pull up, this little kid jump out of the car, get the eggs, climb back in. And I said, Brian, I think that's that kid from down the road. He's like 10. And, and he was like, driving and he drove there. Yeah, he drove, you know, it's, it's country road. It was maybe, yeah, I love it. But he could yeah. wear it. I'm like, how does he even reach the pedals? He's like this little short 10-year-old kid. Yeah. The kids are, they're all driving. They're all operating tractors. You know, the, the haying operations, haying is a whole thing. You got to like, when the when the hay's ready, you got to bail it. Even if it's the middle of the night, they're running these, these, op, these operations all night. And all these high school kids are working there. And then they get up and go to school the next day and go to football practice and do the whole thing. Like, it's no big deal. So seeing these kids and I'm like, these kids are, these are the kids that can, they can do anything. Will they be the ones running the world? Who knows? Cause they might not want to, to, you know, ever do that, but it's like, kids are still very capable and kids can do anything that they want to do. And we should expect more from them. And I think they will be better kids if we do. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to tread gently here, but has it changed your politics from when you were, uh, a, a young, uh, Bay area person to, uh, a mom of four and, uh, and running a, a large, you know, what I would consider a large ranch yeah, uh, in I the mean, United States of America. I would say so. And I think, you know, California really pushes the limit because these like regulations and the stuff that's going on in California, you're just like, the, it's making it so hard to run a business, to be an employer. Um, and it, it's, it is a different political climate up here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it'd be, we stay pretty apolitical as a business because, that's, you know, we're, we're not soapboxing. We're not trying to change anybody's mind. You do, you will do us. Right. But, um, yeah, I think it, it definitely has. Yeah. I've completely changed. That's like part of the premise of this entire podcast. I having kids and then just, and then just seem, but I was raised, I was born in Oakland and raised in Berkeley. So, you know, exactly what, um, mm -hmm. I was a do-gooder of the highest order. <laughs> even if it meant just completely destroying someone else <laughs> as I long know. as i'm doing good as long as but i mean well but but i'm really nice <laughs> i mean well hey um uh 
I've, I've had you on a long time, but I got to touch on a, a, what, what this um, chicken, this school, Five Marys um, Farm School thing. Yeah, is this who is this for? Can I sign up for this and and and, and give this to my kids? Yes, for sure. So we like during okay, the pandemic, you know, the kids are all home and we're there. They learn a lot on the ranch to start with. But we're like, hey, we've got all this like extra time. Let's teach him some of the stuff that's really important. So we had this awesome like old school handyman, John. He's in a bunch of the videos. He's teaching him how to weld. He's teaching him mechanics. We went through, um, you know, the old skills that people don't do anymore, like canning and candle making and bread making. We go through like what it's like to raise livestock, how to harvest maple syrup. You know, we went all, kind of all over the country to different operations, um, ice fishing to fly fishing just like outdoors and agriculture and old world skills. So we have 40 workshops on all of these things. You know, there's like survival skills and then there's raising pigs, there's dairy cattle and tree harvesting, leather work. So um, what we made, and it was kind of, it was a, it was a feat to do this because we did this program in one year and there's 1200 pages of learning and worksheets and activities. There's a lot of entrepreneurial activities like, are you really going to raise chickens to sell eggs? Like, are you going to make money or is it just make more sense to buy eggs at the grocery store? Cause there's a lot that goes into that. So it kind of makes kids think about some things that they might not have in their normal everyday life. Um, each one has a video that Brian and I do, um, and that we have guests from different operations that do things differently than us. And then, um, there's like a little community where people can kind of like check in if they're, um, you know, post what they're learning from the videos, share and kind of feel like they're part of part of something. But it's a fun program. We have um, the online program. It's all digital. You can access it anywhere. We have an app. And then we actually just had a book that came out this week called the Hands on Ranch book um, that we did with the publisher. That's kind of an abbreviated version of Ranch School. Uh, that's like, it's called how to tie a knot, saddle a horse, start a garden and everything else people used to know how to do. So it's kind of just an ode to, you know, the, those skills that have gone by the wayside. Um, uh, hey, so you're telling me in, in practicality, I get this M Ranch School Lifetime Membership Teacher Edition. Yep. Do I need to get this other one too? The school yeah. one? No, you can do one or the other. The regular lifetime membership is all on the app. The teacher edition gives you access to a whole Google Drive with all the acts, the stuff because teachers like to be like, you know, play it on the screen and, and print it out. So it's just really the user interface upgrade on the teacher edition. And then I can print these papers out and I can take my kids through this. I can be like, hey, it, like my six-year-olds and eight-year-olds can learn like the different parts of a cow and how to raise yeah. chickens. Like I want to get chickens so bad. My wife won't let me. There's a whole, there's a whole lesson where I take you to the feed store and say, this is what you need to buy. If you're going to bring chickens home and teach yeah. your kids, if you're going to get baby chicks, you know, you got to dip their beak when you first get them home, teach them how to drink water. But yeah, it, it really is a great resource. Um, and the six and eight years, years old is absolutely perfect. It, you know, it's kind of like four to 16 is the range, but it's really targeted. Most of the worksheets are targeted for the like six to 12 year olds. Cool. Hey, thanks for coming on. Uh, Mary, if you were ever, did you know how we met? Do you know, by the way, who put us in contact? Through uh, Ross and AJ? Yeah, I don't know who AJ is, but through Ross. Yeah. Yes. I have a yep. friend who's friends with Ross, and I've got to have lunch and uh, dinner with Ross a handful of times. And I've, like, I've really hit it off with them. I really enjoy him. Yeah. He's a great guy. He and, and my husband, Brian, are like on the same level. Like they have a, they're, they think a lot alike and really are good friends. He's a great guy. We 
was your husband in the military? No, but he, um, before he went to law school, he like was kind of law enforcement DEA kind of okay. stuff. So, um, and, he and I and think Ross, Ross was a seal. I think Ross was a yeah, seal. Yeah. Was. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Ross is a neat guy. They shared office space in the Bay area together for a while. Was Ross a lawyer? No. An attorney? But no, okay. Brian was only doing like half lawyer stuff and gotcha. uh, Ross was doing startup stuff and they're all, Yeah, they're, Ross they're is cool as shit. Poor kind of guys. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's, he's been a up gentleman. brand. Just with a brand. He has. And Aiden up and they helped us uh, brand one year. But they've been up yeah, a he, few times. He's a gentleman. Uh, okay, well, um, if you're ever in uh, Santa Cruz, you have my phone number. You, you're okay. ever uh, around, we'll host you in, in your girls. I have uh, three little boys. And uh, you're, if you're ever down here, you want to spend the day at the beach or there's anything, you know, um, I'm sure you know plenty of people down here if you used to be from there, but from here. <laughs> But anyway, thank you so much for uh, coming on. Uh, my sister yeah, has been working yeah. on ranches for the last 20 years, and she was so excited to, to hear you on the podcast. So I can't oh, wait to get awesome. her feedback. But you were great. Thank you for sharing so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a fun, fun morning. All right. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later. Ciao. Bye. Mary Heffernan. Time to order some meat uh, from the uh, M5 Ranch. Mary's five ranch, four daughters, all named Mary. You know what I want to see? I wonder what, um, what, what's the name of the town? Fort Jones, Trulia. I wonder how much it costs to move up there. They got fiber. They got, let's look, you guys want to look at homes with me at Fort Jones. Uh, Fort Jones. Okay. Let's go by, um, uh, price, any price. Uh, um, how do we organize? Uh, search by new listings. No, let's go from high to low. High to low. Six million eight hundred fifty thousand dollars for a seven bedroom, four bath. Oh, this I, I looked at this property already. Um, look at this property and this. Oh, this is six sixty one hundred acres. Holy shit! Here's a one point five million for eight hundred acres. Oh, here, $600,000 for 10 acres. Uh, $462,000 for 35 acres. Oh, this is cute. Wow, look at this blue one. Oh, look at this log cabin. This is what I picture uh, Hiller's house to look like, this log cabin right here. Wow. Requested tours early as 11 a.m. today. Hi, Mary. I'm your new neighbor. Remember, you were on my podcast? Oh, I clicked on it. and It didn't take take you guys there. Hmm. 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 What do you think the cheapest thing is in town? For $90,000. Oh, 20 acres. They got 20 acres for $90,000. <clears> homes near. Homes near. Wow. Wow, look at this place. Oh, my goodness. Uh, here's a two-bedroom, three-bath house for 945000 on 60 acres. How can it be 3,000 square feet but only two-bedroom? That doesn't make any sense. Dude, I'm moving to Fort Jones with fiber. Dude, these are crazy houses. These are so cute. I wonder if there's a downtown Fort Jones. 
Wow. Do you think Ford Jones has a uh, jujitsu uh, gym? <sighs> uh, Vittorio, you'll have all that space to wear your leggings outside. Well, thanks. Uh, dear Bill and Katie, I would like to... Uh, Uh, clock, what a great story. Well done, Sevon. Well, thank you. Um, Karina Pace, uh, it never makes sense financially to get chickens. It doesn't. All right, fine. I won't get any. A uh, dildo. Uh, you don't get entitlement or have time to think about how unfair life is when you live that way for your livelihood. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that too. You're not like if the if the uh, the cow takes a shit on your doorstep, you're not like, he did that because I'm black. He did that because I'm short. He did that because I'm Jewish. Uh, no, he just took a shit on your doorstep. Uh, just because you're, you're a douchebag. Uh, Anthony Hendricks, Sevi, uh, Sevon, uh, Severino, uh, you could start a CEO, Jiu-Jitsu and CrossFit CEO. Matosian BJ's. Oh, BJJ. <laughs> wow. Send me a photo. My mom has 200 chickens. I know that's what I'd like to do. 200 chickens would be awesome. Uh, chickens will demolish the tick population. Yeah, I like that. Oh, my. I'll tell you this about my wife. I probably shouldn't share this, but my wife's a super dirt twir twirler. She could handle anything, anything, but she got a tick. Crazy tick phobia. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Crazy. I don't think the kids have ever gotten a tick ar around our house, but we do live by fields and tall grass and all that shit. And yet she's always like, do they got ticks? They got ticks. I know I'm going to go in the house. She'll be like, oh, they did two get ticks this one time last week. Blah, blah. But I don't ever remember them getting ticks. But she got crazy tick phobia. Crazy. Let me see. She's probably going to text me right now. Let's see. Oh, shit. She. Uh, money doesn't buy uh, happiness, but productivity does. Oh, that's what she just, um, she sent me that. Did Mary say that today? You don't got to tell me that, fool. Although, when I found, when I found that, when I found that fucking 100 Gs in my YouTube account, I let me tell you, I was so happy. Graham Holmberg, 2010 CrossFit Games champion. I haven't talked to Graham in forever. How about last night with Gee? We went to straight Bible school. What is this? Um, uh, oh, CrossFit, the Crash Crucible starts Friday at 9 a.m. I wonder when Hillary gets there. All right. Now I'm multitasking. It's always weird when I forget that I'm on a podcast. I just start. Uh, deja in Tandu. Uh, many, many times I try to reiterate this thought in different forms. The solution for depression is action. Fair enough. I, I, I feel you on that. I know exactly what you mean. I don't know if it's a solution, but it's 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 a, it's a remedy. 
I would choose the word remedy, but I, but I feel you. I feel you. How about that? I feel you. Uh, Eric Utley, and now you have to source unvaxxed chickens and other livestock. Don't just go buy chicks from your local tractor supply. But what about the really? What about the babies of those chick of those chicks? Well, the, like, do those count? Someone also told me yesterday they were telling me about my ISO, about my exposure being all fucked up. But someone else also said that my lights are wrong. My head looks. I look too flat. That I used to have a nice shadow on me. But I got a light here and a light here. I don't know what I'm doing. Just winging it. Okay. Um, that was going to be my most challenging podcast of the week. That was the one I was most scared about. Chuck, take that off the list. Mary Heffernan. I know she, she, I bet you she has great um, Silicon Valley stories. I wonder, I wonder like what her engagements were, were like with Steve Jobs. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Trung Ningguen. Did I, did I pronounce that right? That's going to be, uh, show. There's a coffee called that. Videos. Oh, here he is. 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 Found him on Instagram. Oh, this is going to be a crazy show tomorrow. This is going to be fun. Uh, here we go. Look at this guy's profile pic. Owns a supplement company. What's this? Clearing the house, SWAT team guy. Talk about a stressful job. My God. So, so I wish someone could tell me how to pronounce his name. Trung, Trung, Trung Ningguen, 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 Trung Ningguen. Am I saying it right? Oh, maybe someone's. Oh. Hey, Javier. Oh, okay, buddy. Uh, I'll come outside right now. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Bye. He called me Hermano. I'm here, Hermano. Okay, Javier's here, guys. Uh, we got got an irrigation leak. On the at the three plane brothers empire. I will see you guys uh tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Love you guys. Mm -hmm. Bye bye.